That's no mirage. It's called a duty gate. God, I don't understand what has broken in this thing, but just, you know what? Peek behind the curtains, guys. Every time I click the the intro song, it plays twice. (laughs) I don't know why, but guess what? Welcome. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? This is Triangle Square, a PlayStation <laughs> podcast. Hopefully, we are what you're looking for. Uh, I am your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as not, usual. Please, please do. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, alongside me, as always. Oh, I, uh, Mr. Chris Fix. Or Chris Fix. What the hell am I saying? <laughs> it's Mr. Chris Fix. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Chris Fix here. It's me. <laughs> Uh, if you are new to the podcast, like I said, welcome. We hope you stick around and listen around. Otherwise, welcome back to all of you who we know listen every week. We have a big episode today. Of course, Ubisoft uh, Forward happened and State of Play happened, and those are two big things that pertain to stuff we would typically cover in this podcast. Of course, a Nintendo Direct happened as well, but uh, we don't tend to talk about Nintendo much in this show. Um, I think primarily because they're not viewed as competition in the same way we always say we're a playstation podcast or we're really a gaming podcast through the lens of fans of playstation uh primarily each of us have switches xboxes and or pcs to play those games um but i notice switch is probably the system that gets the least discussion here and um there might be an episode or a day that we come to talk about why that is or kind of dissect why that might be or what we think the reason is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I'd wager a guess that Chris and I is my, I do play my switch sometimes I've been playing it lately actually. Um, but it falls at probably the bottom of the totem pole in terms of importance for me or things that are actively keeping me excited uh, in the same way as PlayStation and Xbox and PC. Uh, so with that said, though, we're going to get going with all that big episode, but we're going to still start to show off the same way as we always do, the time-honored tradition of checking in on what each other has been playing so that maybe you can get some thoughts about what you should play next, or if you've played it already, give your thoughts to us or recommend us things in the long run. But Chris, I'm going to start with you, uh, what you've been playing this week. I'm assuming Red Dead 2 and... Uh, my my weird notice here is that somehow we flipped. I, I noticed that too. Actually, yeah. <laughs> we make we make an episode about the about our gaming habits, and then we just decide <laughs> to freaky Friday our gaming habits. <laughs> yep, that's true. But yeah, I've literally only played Red Dead Redemption Two. So that says a lot about Red Dead Two. <laughs> feel free to get your comments in. <laughs> But yeah, Red Dead Redemption 2 is awesome, man. I don't know what else to say. It's really good. I really like it. So, however, really <laughs> go ahead. No, yeah. I have to I have to say it. I am just now reaching the point that broke me last time. I do want to oh, make that clear. Oh, the alligator quest. Yes, because I did like Red Dead the first time and then that quest showed up and I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> so, I'm almost there. Kieran just returned to camp. If you've played Red Dead, you know what I'm talking about. So, we'll see. What was that pause? <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to respond or not. I was letting you no, you're have a second to say something. You know, if you did know what I was talking about when I said Kieran returns to camp. <laughs> I do know what you're talking about, actually. Yes. There you go. Perfect. 
the the one thing that everyone can say universally, or I say everyone, the thing that most people who have played Red Dead can agree on, gameplay, world design, whether or not it's too big or too slow or whatever, is that the story is well told. It is very good. Now, mm-hmm. again, I, I do think the beginning of the game is too slow. Crazy slow. There's a need for the story to be slow at the beginning because it sets the stakes. I understand that. It sets up what there is to lose and can do that. But the game, arguably, in my opinion, still too slow. Now, not a huge hit against Red Dead because I absolutely adore Days Gone and Days Gone has the exact (laughs) same issue. It does. It It, does. It takes 10 hours for you to give a shit about what's going on in those games realistically, which sucks because when you're recommending these games, either one of those games to people, they're so long. And it takes so long to truly get invested that when you're talking to someone, they're like, yeah, I've been playing for like three hours, but I don't really like it. It's like, it's so hard for it to be a valid excuse of, bro, you just got to keep playing. You know, those, <laughs> those, yeah. those, those Facebook and, and Twitter memes where it's like, bro, just one more, please, just one more. You'll see, bro, just please. That's kind of what it feels like trying to get people to stick these games out until they get genuinely good unilaterally where pretty much everyone would agree at least this part is good um so but yeah Yeah. uh, i'm I'm happy that you're getting back there chris so let me ask you a question brett i'm gonna propose uh, something to you gonna propose i'm married chris i'm sorry oh well this is not the same this would be like a civil union um fair enough if since i seem to have a history of liking games that I once hated. Do I go back to Deathloop, Kingdom Hearts, or Nier Automata? Mm-mm. <laughs> huh. I think of the three, the one that you have the highest chance of liking and stick or sticking with long enough to like it yeah, and it be able to give you that sense as quickly as possible. I think probably Deathloop. That was what I thought. Which you were is good say. because you've already downloaded it. I did. I told you I would, so I did. I think Kingdom Hearts One is a fantastic game, and I love it. But if you've played the opening before, replaying it without a love for the series already instilled in you can be tedious. Okay. Fair. And since you've already done it once, like a year ago, you might, you definitely at this point would need to restart Uh in my opinion, but I don't want you to, you know, to stop. So I would save kingdom hearts for like maybe another year where it's not too fresh. Okay. And you can come back to it near Tomina. I would be amazed because you went through all five endings of the game, or at least four endings of the game. Well, I say yeah. that. Actually, I don't know that you did go through four. You, you went through at least three. No, no I beat You everything. went through A, B, and C. No, no, I did all of it. Okay, gotcha. Point being, the only way that I can imagine that your opinion would change is if you go out of your way to not let the game play itself for you. <laughs> Which I'm not saying that's not a valid criticism that the game lets you do that. But as far as I'm concerned, it's essentially like The Last of Us 
allowing you to essentially do do whatever you want to through accessibility options. That's sure. just an accessibility option. If you want to experience the story, but you're not very good at that at this style of game, then it's a way for you to play it. Um, so if you if you ever go back to Nier Automata, I would argue that you would need to play it with zero handicaps on. So it sounds like I wouldn't like Nier Automata because I let it play itself because I didn't like playing Nier Automata. <laughs> then you're probably not going to like it. I think yeah. that that combat system is top-notch. It's super fun. There's depth in the chip system, but you don't have to go too far into it. It would make the game a little more challenging. I think the parry options are fantastic. The mix between having your shooter companion and then, of course, your sword play, it pays a lot of homage to the first game, but I think it does the first game better. Um, thankfully, the remake or whatever, the remaster-ish of the first game does a lot to make its combat even better than the actual original release. But The part one of the first game. <laughs> yeah, part one. Actually, <laughs> version three, two, four, five, seven, six. There's an actual, I don't know the, the digits, but they're there. <laughs> part 3.4176, yes. <clears throat> Okay, I, oh, I was okay. just curious because pie? I, yes, <laughs> near replicant pi, version pie. <laughs> it's just that scene from American Pie, and the game is what happens inside the pie. Um, oh God! So look for you. I have a I have a return question. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Those games aside, do you feel like there's a game in your own, like circling around, kind of floating through your conscious a little, that you yourself feel like you hate? or have hated, but might be worth the revisit separate from those three games. Honestly, I can't believe I'm going to say it, but it's The Witcher 3 because I want to like that game so bad. <laughs> okay. There's no game I okay. want to like more than Witcher 3. The Witcher 3 is so good. It, it blows, it, much like Nier Automata, though, it blows my mind that you don't like that game. <laughs> it blows my mind because that game is a perfect game for me. Oh, um... Yeah, yeah, The Witcher 3, of mm-hmm. course. But what is it? Do you not like the gameplay? Uh, I find Geralt clunky. I think the side quests are bad, um, except for one, which I guess is technically not a side quest. But I don't like the side quests. I don't like navigating. I didn't like navigating that world. Stuff like that. Like, that was the biggest problem. Hmm. One of these days, I hope that you have an Outer Worlds with that game. <laughs> Here's my maybe. You talked too much shit on these other games and then turned around and liked them. I actually feel like you're too respectful with The Witcher 3. And the only <laughs> way that you could potentially turn a corner is to talk such mad dirt on the game and convince yourself that you hate it, that when you play it, whatever it is that's broken inside of you goes... No, bro, it's totally good. And then you just fall in love. I don't, it's just weird because I don't go into these games like planning on changing my opinion. Like I literally don't even remember why I started playing Red Dead again. No, you know why? Because I was going through my game list and nothing was appealing to me. And I happened to have Red Dead installed. So I was like, okay. And I, I just turned it on and gave it a shot. But Because like, you never deleted it from the, the save fiasco? Exactly. Well, no, the save fiasco was when I decided to go back. And at that point, I was like, so the second time after the save fiasco, I turned it on and I was just kind of like, I wonder how fast I can do this. (laughs) 
because Blake, I remember saying to Blake, like, I don't think I'll go back. And he was like, it's very quick if you just speed through it. I'm like, okay. So then I sped through it and it was very quick. <laughs> yeah. So once I did that. You know, a lot of games seem very bloated at the beginning because you don't know what you're doing. But if you've recently yeah. done it, you can fly through it. Like, you know, yeah. as much as I still I found it unfortunate that I had to replay Horizon uh, Forbidden West to get the Platinum. I replayed that game so quickly. <laughs> I mean, so quickly. Yeah. Which also did. highlights some interesting things about open world game design. A game that can potentially take you 150 hours to do everything in can be completed and credits rolled in like three hours. Mm-hmm. At what point do you ask the question of like, what is the value of that other stuff then? And I'm not saying that there's a correct answer. I'm, and I'm not even trying to give it a, an exact positive or negative light. I just think it's a, there's a really interesting conversation to be had around. Well, we can have that conversation. I'm interested in that. We can have that conversation potentially another day, Chris. We have a lot of news. I, oh, I don't disagree. We could tuck that away. And, yeah. and and ask Put that it be a, maybe even a good community's take. So yes, exactly. Because I think the same question potentially pertains to um, modern Assassin's Creed uh, and stuff like that. So there's there's conversation to be had there, and I'd like it to be a community's take because I think there's a lot of opinion from the community that could help maybe shape a, a good hypothesis as to why those games seem to do pretty well. Um, but. That aside, um, no, nothing but Red Dead, huh? No. Uh, a couple Apex games, but even those Apex games, I'm like, I don't want to be playing this with you guys right now. <laughs> that's rough. Yeah, it is. That's, it's rough for you specifically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No MLB? <sighs> I played a couple things of it. It's weird because it's. I don't really have the drive to play it anymore. I've gotten most of the cards I want. And with the season ending, I know that the game is going to end soon. So it's kind of hard to stay motivated to keep playing and grinding when like it's going to go static pretty soon and they're just going to be pushing on 23. I mean, fair enough. That's kind of the life cycle of that game though, right? It is, but I've also never played an MLB this much. I think I have 300 hours in MLB this year, and I've never gotten close to that. Man, how many hours did you get in last year whenever you got the Platinum and the significantly harder Platinum last year? <laughs> or the year before? Which one was it? It was the last year, I believe. Um, 120. Wow. That's yeah. a that's a quite the jump between yeah. the two yeah, i don't yeah. know what it was but like I, like playing it though this is the first year i've ever maxed out the live series collections like i've had some of the like the george brett card or the mccutcheon card like i've never gotten there before so like the 300 dollars or hours was interesting is difficulty part of it because i feel like the interesting thing is that i remember when you first started playing it you were saying like oh this game's super easy and super easy to platinum and all these different things do you feel like the Maybe the difficulty curve got you more sucked in and then wanted you to keep playing, and maybe the difficulty beforehand was both alluring but also slightly off-putting and wore itself thin on you eventually? Or what do no, you think it, it was? I think a lot of it was just I didn't enjoy that many games this year. Like I feel like if you listen to the podcast, like you and oh, you especially yeah. you listen to it, like I haven't had 
I don't think there's been any game, maybe save for Red Dead, ironically, that I've ever I've been on the show. Like, yeah, I fucking love this game. <laughs> I think you might be right. And for more than a week. You know what I mean? And it's been yeah, and it's been a really weird year for games. It has. I, I feel like been there's been year. great games, but like you said, it's like they're great games that are flash in the pan and then they're kind of gone. Right. Uh, like someone asked me the other day, they're like, what is your game of the year? And I normally keep the, this pretty close to the chest because we like to do episodes about them. But like right now, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> right. I'd have to look, but I would almost feel like... Uh, like It's certainly not Horizon. And I enjoyed Horizon, but it's certainly not Horizon. Uh, it's not Elden Ring, which I think is a lot of people's answer, but Elden Ring just did not speak to me the way that it spoke to a lot of people. So that's kind of ruled out for me. It's to the point where I, it's almost hard to to track what came out this year and what and what I really love this year. I, I I'm gonna I'll look I'm gonna look at my trophies and kind of see if I come up with something. But I think my my game of the year is Elden Ring, and I don't ever want to play that game again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Game of the year discussions are always plagued with recency bias because the way that the human brain works. I kind of get it. I've, I've started thinking about whenever I play games that I can tell I'm really enjoying. And at the moment, I feel like there's a chance for them to be in the game of the year discussion that I think I want to start taking like notes and saving them. And then that's a way to kind of be able to read through and refresh my memory on the experience and kind of relive it for a second so that I can read on all that right before we do the episode and really kind of help inform that episode a little more than going completely off of gut. I mean, we, I still, typically prepare it's just it'd be better to have it with <clears throat> thought out notes that are poignant to the time in which you're playing the game so yeah who knows I, even thinking about it like <laughs> unpacking maybe mm. like, yeah yeah whatever but it's interesting you know my game of the year 2022 is red dead redemption 2 well and i've spent so much of this year similar to 2020 uh I spent so much, so much of this year replaying things I've already played and loved. And I think that that has kind of put me in a weird spot for new things uh, just by nature of playing things. <laughs> it's like I, I'm skirting off new things that could be great to play things that I already know are great, which is an interesting way to kind of bounce between Um if I really think through to what I've played and just had an absolute great time with this year, is this is going to sound really crazy. I, I think that it's somewhere between Gran Turismo 7 and Tribes of Midgard. That's wild. Which is a wild-sounding list. So, That's a hell of a list. Yeah, it's honestly looking at my... I mean, Ghostwire Tokyo was really good. But it didn't have that same effect, you know? Like, I wasn't addicted to it as well as loving the content. Um, Which, being addicted to something is not necessarily mean that it's got great content. But, you know, I mean... Or even that it's a great game. Have you ever found yourself just like really wanting to play a game? And you're like, I don't even think the game's that good. Like, clearly I think it's good and I enjoy it, but it's not like the best game ever. And yet here I am wanting to play it. Didn't didn't I just tell you how I started playing Red Dead again? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah. Though then again, it seems like your opinion on it is changing drastically. So I would almost argue that there's 
the quality that you need for that thought process is there. Look, I'll say something that will make Blake freak out. Like, I can't wait for Wednesday, like, 6.30. No, um, oh, it's going to be late because we're recording this super late. There's no <laughs> if, way I'm editing this today. If Red Dead continues like this, it's probably a top five all-time game. Blake just, like, came. The ghost, the ghost of Blake Post just ectoplasmed everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, 100%. No. Um, okay. Well, I guess I'll run through quickly what I've been playing. So, Last of Us Part yes, 1, I got the Platinum, uh, and I finally played Left Behind. Turns out, all you need to do to make me play DLC is remake and or remaster the game and put the <laughs> DLC not in a separate trophy list, but in the main trophy list. Um, no, it, it was good. Um, having never played it, I, it was surprising because, like, you know, I've seen it be talked about and that it's just, it's, it kind of covers the story of, of Ellie and, and Riley. But I didn't know that it interleaved that with the missing part of the main game in which Ellie goes from <clears throat> the incident at the university to right before David and that time gap that's there. Um, so that's as about as spoiler free as I can make that, <laughs> but there you are. Um, but no, the game is the game still holds up great. Uh, fun platinum list actually, and it kind of has me. It, it has me partially wanting to replay The Last of Us Part Two to get the platinum for it. But at the same time, even though I like The Last of Us Part Two, one of the biggest it, it's like a tale of two Last of Uses because I think in every. Basically, in every way, I think The Last of Us Part Two is a better game. And I know that, but <laughs> hold on, hold on, back up because I, I am going to, there's one caveat there. I think the story content in two is capable of greatness and it shines through at times. And then I think odd decisions of pacing can chop that up. So, Story will be the one thing I'll essentially leave behind there. But I think Last of Us 2's gameplay is so much better. Level design, way more varied, far more diverse and wide so that you can approach things in different ways. But all of these things lead to a game that is... Well, all of these things, actually. But they lead to a game that's bloated. And as much as I enjoyed The Last of Us Part 2, it's a much more significant ask to replay it than it is The Last of Us Part 1. Because... I missed like 10 collectibles overall in my first playthrough of The Last of Us Part 1. So I essentially had to replay the majority of the game. And I had a great time doing it mm. directly after. I, the reason I don't have The Last of Us Part 2 Platinum is because I could not bring myself to play that game immediately again after for a number of reasons. I think it's an emotionally very heavy and charged game, and it's got far more moments of darkness and far less moments of levity than The Last of Us 1 does. Uh, does. Whether that's good or bad is completely off the table. It's just that, that uh, Part 2 is far more emotionally draining than Part 1. I think on purpose, but uh, yeah, I think as much as I want to, I don't know if I'm ready to replay The Last of Us Part 2 yet because part of me wishes that The Last of Us Part 2 was able to tell essentially the same story, but in that same 12 to 15 hour window. I agree. I'm kind of tired of every 
first party PlayStation game having to be like 30 hours now. And I know that the whole reason that happened is because it was like course correction for the order 1886 PlayStation (laughs) never wanted to even be close to having anybody say that this is the next order. So instead they just make every game way too fucking big. And honestly, it may just been an industry at large change, but man, it's rough because I feel like as much as I love God of War, God of War is a long game. I kind of want to replay it, but do I really want to replay 30 hours of God of War when I'm about to play probably 30 to 40 hours of God of War Ragnarok? I don't know. So, uh, But yeah, Last of Us Part 1, got the Platinum knocked out for it. I started the Pathless, and I'm not going to lie, I was I went into it with kind of an odd thing because what you had said about it not heavily weighed on me, but it kind of was just floating around in my mind of like mm-hmm. Chris being like, I started it and I'll probably never play it again. And I was kind of like, why? I'm happy to say that I'm enjoying the game. <laughs> okay. But it's definitely resting on the shoulders of games like in design and a lot of different aspects of games like Shadow of the Colossus and to a lesser degree, Breath of the Wild. Um I think the one thing that's kind of unique about this game is I've never played a game that is in this style of like third person action adventure or whatever you want to call this um, that is momentum based. And so the closest way I can describe it, I don't know how much you played, but definitely as you continue to kind of play and get familiar with the game, there's this flow and it plays into the design of like boss fights and stuff of where you've got to keep up a certain speed by timing how much you hold an arrow to shoot these floating talismans throughout the world. They give you spirit energy, which you use to run, but they also give you an initial boost. So ideally you should be hitting a talisman like every second and a half or two seconds to keep a a flow of speed up and going and terrain and water can slow you down. So there's like this really chill aspect to where between actual puzzles and boss fights, there's like a momentum based movement system that's keeping you engaged in the time between, but not, not like in a way that's stressful. It's like a passively chill game but with like just enough to keep you focused to keep playing it's kind of odd to describe but i've beaten the first area boss and cleared the first area shrine and got all the uh things to eventually be chase the spirit around if you played the game you probably know what i mean uh but i like it so far one thing i can say from what i have played is i was right to not buy it at at, uh, what is it fifty dollars sixty dollars it was a Quite expensive game day one. I am very happy with this as a twenty dollar purchase. If I think I got it for less than that actually, but uh, in the ballpark of twenty, good game. Um, Donovan and I started playing Conan Exiles, and I went into that game thinking this is probably not going to be good, but I'm willing to try it for him because he was also the reason I got on the Tribes of Midgard, and that game was excellent. Um, and at first some odd decisions about the way that they do online bothered me and they still do. Um, So for example, you can, he's host and I'm in his world, but if he moves too far away from me in a co-op game that you're meant to work together and find ways to survive, if he moves too far away from me, it just starts pulling my character toward him 
without any control of me. <laughs> and secondarily, if he were to die and or move fast enough away from me in a specific direction, the game will just outright teleport me to him. And that means that the idea for games like The Forest, which are also survival games, where you can kind of divide and conquer, like I'm going to go up here to the northwest map, you can go southeast, and we can get all the things we need and come together, is gone. Uh, the game very much requires you to stay within a certain range of each other. But I'm enjoying the game, surprisingly. There's a lot of really cool ideas, um, and I'm excited to continue playing it. I'm not to the point where I can say I love it, but I'm actively excited to play it again with him, which is interesting, because I didn't think that would be the case. Nice. I'm glad you like it. Are you going to yeah. try and get me to play it on the show? I mean, if you want to play it, you feel free to do so. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a good sell. I mean, I, I don't even know how to sell the game to you because it's it's a very odd game. But it's I like it. I don't know if you'd like it. I, I mean, okay. it feels like an MMO without being an MMO, but also not because it's not like you still have full attack. You have L2 and R2 and... You go through, I mean, like, it's real-time combat that goes through. Uh, there's skill trees. There's crafting systems that are involved for you to make certain things. You have to resource, manage, and gather. Um, it's not a roguelite like T Tribes of Midgar was. So if you die, you don't, like, run the risk of having to, you know, you don't have to, like, restart anything. You don't have to build things for a two-hour run and then give that run up because you failed or something. So I don't know. I mean, it's... It was a free PS Plus game. I went into it just because of Donovan's recommendation. So you know what, Chris? I'm going to offer the same thing. <clears throat> hey, dude. You got Hi. any plans this weekend? Uh, yeah, I'm working. What's up? <laughs> I know you are. But no. You should. Uh, you you want to play Conan Exiles with me? No. Okay, there you go. That's, <laughs> that's the exact pitch. But mine was, yeah, okay. <laughs> Wait. Oh, I thought. <laughs> Heard. <laughs> you thought what, Chris? I thought you. I thought. Um, I thought I heard you say Pokemon Unite, so I thought that's what you were talking about, not Conan. I played Conan. Oh no! Um, it was pretty. It was interesting. It just wasn't it's been me. completely not redone. Like the world and stuff, for the most part, is the same. But the menu systems, the crafting systems, and the, all that has been completely redone. It is a. It's an interesting game. Cool. But I like it. So, yeah, if you want to play Conan Exiles. Okay, so hold on. <clears throat> Here we go. Pokemon Unite. Yes, hi. Which I can't Pokemon remember Unite. if I mentioned it last episode. I think I did because it's I the first time I've ever played a MOBA. It's kind of like a MOBA light, um, which is probably the best way for me to, to throw it to you. I had apprehension about going in because I'm thinking MOBA. But in many ways, this is just giving you the very basic version of MOBA principles, but in a fun way. It's Pokemon. They have movesets. They still evolve as you go through and level up. Uh, there's NPC Pokemon that you have to fight and kill to level, but then also you're going against other ones, uh, other people and their Pokemon as they level up. Um, and essentially, you're just trying to protect your score zones while getting enough points from the wild Pokemon to score against them. Okay. And if you kill them, you can potentially get their points. And you're basically just going and scoring on these goals. And if you score enough, you clear the goal, which puts you at advantage. Definitely if you're blocking your goals. And your basic idea is to score more than your opponent, um, which has a lot of different ways to happen. 
you may not clear any score zones, but if you score a lot on every goal zone, but they only take one of your goal zones and they only scored on that one, you can still win. So there's okay, a very cool. interesting setup there. Um, and right now is a good time to play because you get a lot of free licenses, which is what you use uh, for Pokemon on there. So you only start with a few licenses and you get more as you play and level. But there's an event going on right now where the first however many days that you log in and play, you get a free Pokemon um, license so that you can use them. And I eventually they, they're adding new Pokemon all the time. They added Mew. Um, oh, nice. And of course, with that comes new mechanics. So. If you want to play Pokemon Unite, it's a really easy game to hop on and play like each uh, normal rounds, 10 minutes, quick rounds, five minutes, and you can just knock out a couple of those and get off. So look, Chris, you say you love Pokemon. Here's your chance to give something Pokemon related to try. You make a valid point. I do love Pokemon. (laughs) I have it downloaded. I'm happy to. I'll try it, but I'm not promising I'll actually play it. At least log in. For today, tomorrow, the next day, and and get your rewards from the thing, the event going on to get your free Pokemon so that you have more options to choose from. Also, this is kind of, I assume other games do this too. I'm just, I don't play it. Um, There's, yeah, there's two or three, maybe more, but I think it's two or three uh, Pokemon that they rotate out every week so that you can try new Pokemon before you have to commit to using your currency that that you gain to buy them. So you can like, play for a Pokemon that you're not, that you don't actually own for a few days just because it's a free for that week thing. Uh, and that's how I ended up playing as Aegislash and loving him and deciding to buy him. Aegislash is cool. I like him as like a Pokemon. So yeah, he's a great Pokemon. So, but yeah, um, old school runescape rounds out my list straight questing away, having a good time. So damn, what's going on with you in the ADHD gaming this week, Brett? It's really just that I got through with The Last of Us Part 1, so I had reason to start the Pathless, and then Donovan invited me to Conan and then invited me to Pokemon Unite, and I'm always playing Old School RuneScape. So it Fair. it feels like I'm ADHD gaming. I'm really just progressing to my potential next addition, addiction. I'm in that in-between time where i got to figure out which one it's going to be. I'm trying not to play Conan without Donovan because our characters are linked to his world and his save. Mm-hmm. But, uh, do we'll understand? I uh, do understand that I have noticed that you played fucking Conan Exiles, and you haven't played one goddamn fucking game of Apex <laughs> Legends with me in the fucking yep. four, three, four years we've been friends. Yep, not a single goddamn Apex game. Hey, but this hey. guy plays Co- Conan Exiles. C- Conan Exile. Okay, give me a second though. Because I'm going to tell you something about advantage. Ah, uh, you, you know how in games that there's like the, the the idea of advantage that you can get. Sure, like sure, sure. Yu-Gi-Oh sure. has card advantage. You know, you move uh-huh. there. Donovan has what I call friend advantage. I uh, hear me out. Hear me this, out. No, hear this me is out. bad hear for me you, out. dog. Listen, I have known Donovan and been friends uh-huh. with Donovan since I was essentially born. Yeah. He is my oldest friend. Full stop. <laughs> yeah. I have I have been friends with this man for 29 years. Conan Exiles. Fun game. <laughs> One look singular look, Conan game. Exiles. Conan Exiles sounded more fun than Apex. Now where you do have me, 
hold on, listen. In terms of genre of game that I might like, I like survival games and they can sometimes work for me. So I did it. Pokemon Unite is the real one, the real one that you can push against me because I have zero interest in MOBA and I only played it because I knew that Donovan was like, we haven't played anything in a while. What do you want to (laughs) play? And I said, after our episode before, he was like, maybe I can get you to finally play Pokemon Unite. So whenever he asked, like, hey, what should we play two weeks ago? I was like, I guess this is my time to finally give you the opportunity to talk me into playing Pokemon Unite. And he did. I, I just want you to know it's been noted. It has been noted. <laughs> that I've never, I have not asked you to like, yo, let's, 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 let's grind ranks. Like, I'll teach you how to play Apex and we're going to grind the ranks. Yep. I've said, let's play a singular <laughs> one, one match, one game, game of whatever. Apex. Yep. Goddamn guy wouldn't even download it. And he doesn't even give me the like, listen, dude, it's a really big game. I just don't have the space. I really can't erase Power Wash Simulator off my console. No, he just <laughs> won't play it. He won't even give me a reason. He's just like, nah, <laughs> nah. <laughs> Nah, I'm not Listen. playing that. I played Near Automata and hated it, and I am still. That's because you you agreed to a uh, to a whatever we called those. <laughs> a I, I could have stopped. I I I like that game less than I like your less. I like that game <laughs> less than you like more <laughs> than I. I don't know how to say this, but I didn't finish Irreversible, and I'd rather watch Irreversible than play Near Automata again. And you won't what, play... What a statement. <laughs> one <laughs> game of Apex with me. If anyone is a midweek matinee fan... I did not say I would never play Apex with you. Okay. You're acting uh, like, you're acting man, like I've, clo- I've slammed the door shut. Season 80,000 of Apex when we're both 70 years old, and he's like, hey, buddy, I guess I owe you... For like you're gonna, four you're or five th- years, I get married, and he's like, "For your wedding, I'm not getting you anything." But I gonna am going to play one Apex. game of Apex with you. Oh, you've just given me the ace in the hole, man. That's going to oh, be no, your no, wedding no. present. If that's if, <laughs> if that's my wedding present, uh, I will. That will be the only thing that gets spoken out on this show. I won't even acknowledge that it's a PlayStation podcast. We'll just spend an hour pl- talking about It'll the single Apex, Apex game we played. And be like, yeah, that was what he got me for my wedding. The only wedding I'll ever have in my life. He played a single game of Apex. The game I've been asking him to play for seven years. He finally yeah, played dude. as a wedding present. Your wedding present was payoff for seven years of anticipation. <laughs> That's a pretty That's, fucking good gift in my opinion. <laughs> That's that's for a joke. That's not for a life event. I don't know, a, man. Would be a hilarious. Okay, you know what though? I'll give you that credit. It would be a hilarious joke if the only thing you got me for my wedding was like a fucking a one game Apex, and we don't we don't even we don't even make it to top three. We die like right off the rip. You're like, yeah, I'm done. That's that's it. <laughs> that was the one. <laughs> we jumped off the plane and died. And you're like, I'm done. This game sucks. Anyway. <laughs> What was the community okay, stake? If right? it was your wedding, if it was your wedding, I would give you one night of Apex. And it would be a community Ooh. event that we would stream. And it would be called Triangle Squared's One Night at a, a One Night of Apex. And we would have I would make like wedding invitational style things and have that, that be like the thing. That would actually it would be, be an event, funny. Chris. It that would be would an event. That would actually be very funny. That yeah, would be your funny. your bride to be could be on there. Oh my god, I couldn't imagine. She could yeah, it would be it'd be, it'd be fantastic. Wonderful. 
This yeah, is wonderful. See? Chris, you undersold you undersold me. See, I would give you your one night of Apex. We'd sell tickets. No one yeah, would buy the, any because this man <laughs> this man played a MOBA over one game. Before Apex. I played Apex. What's the community stake, Brett? The community stake last week was a kind of hit on what we were talking about last week. Mm-hmm. If you don't know, the community stake is where we reach out to the community and ask you guys to come back to us through a prompt on social media and answer a question that's based off of what we talked about the previous episode so we can get some different insight. And of course, this week or last week, rather, we talked about uh, The Last of Us and not necessarily it, but insofar as how it leads into the discussion of if there is a too soon mm-hmm. for remakes on your own individual level. So the way yeah. we kind of came out was with remakes like the last of us, dead space and demon souls either coming or out. Do you feel there's ever a time when a remake is too soon for you to be included in the market for it? Why or why not? Right. Um, so a couple answers and actually one that I missed on well, here. Hey, I'll Brett, start with that one. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. How, yeah, how would a listener Submit an answer to the community sake for a chance. You know what they would. You know what they would do, Chris. What would they do, Brett? A very, Please very perceptive me. of you. They would yeah. go on their phone, their cellular mm-hmm. device, or their computer, yeah. or their PlayStation through their browser on the PlayStation True. if they really wanted to. You could do uh, that, and they would. They would go to Twitter potentially. Ah, uh, Twitter at for Triangle sure. SQRD. Right. Uh, they would I'm find fi- us I'm under that at Figs Twenty One K. Just perchance yep. you want to follow me too. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you could go on there. You could follow sure. us. You could see where on Monday mornings or Monday afternoon, really, we tweet the community's mm-hmm. take, right? And yeah. you could respond with your Twitter and then have a chance to be read on the show. Right. Or like, like or, some people do. Hear me out. Yeah, sure, like some sure, people sure. do. Or hear me out. You could go to Facebook. There's oh. a group, Triangle Squared PlayStation Podcast. Type that in. And There's you, a thing you, you click the, you request to join. I do. I right, let, right. I, I I stand at the gate. You go, yeah. hey, bro, can I get in? And I go, okay, yeah, cool. And You I'll are you Peter in. of the uh, Gates of Triangle Squared PlayStation that, yeah. Podcast. G- Gabriel or whatever that's it is. That's what I um, said. It, pretty sure it's Peter, but that's okay. <laughs> Can't rob Peter and pay Brett. Let's keep going. <laughs> 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 or you or, can click... Right below the video that you're watching, or mm. in your in your ear hole, you can open the phone and go to the app yes. that you're listening to this through. Don't and you click can your click ear hole. The link. Yeah, don't click your ear hole. I've That'd heard that bad. can lead to uh, c- complications. Mm. Um, but you can click the link that says Discord, and oh. you can join that. And there's a dedicated section to where mm-hmm. one may or may not decide to go. Hey, I have input on this week's community state. Right, uh, and that's how you do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, Chris, very good of you to catch. Uh, that is the step-by-step guide as to how to be part of the community's take right. on the Triangle Squared episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, with that in mind, I think we're going to go ahead and start with one Josh Ayers, one of our longtime oh. patrons. And Chris, listen. Oh, hold on. Before Whoa. you ask, bef- before you ask, oh. I would question. like to let you know that if you, too, want to become a patron... You're going to have to listen to the end of the show to find out how to do that because we've spent too much time on this bit and we need to get moving. <laughs> but <laughs> stick around and you too can be told step by step. Patreon.com slash Nartag. <laughs> longtime <laughs> listener, longtime patron at this point. He says, uh, no, there is no designated time. If you don't want it, 
don't buy it. There's nothing saying you have to buy everything. Uh, vote with your wallet. And I think that is definitely at the core of the question. Uh, you know, if, if I think the the bigger thing, because clearly that should always be your answer. If something doesn't feel like it's fitting for you, I agree. You should just not buy it. Uh, you can spend a little time lamenting the fact that you don't feel like you find the value that they set for it. But say your piece, move on, wait until it either comes into a price range or something is fixed that puts it into back into, hey, I'm now back in the market for this game and then jump on it. Otherwise, move Tonto, along and don't worry about it. Jump on it. Jump on it. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, we have, of course, more. He did that over on the Discord, which, of course, you can be part of. Um, in the description below. Yeah. <laughs> we have an ASMR Triangle Squared podcast. Yeah. Just Every time I go to take a sip of my Pepsi, I just... You oh, know, God, please don't. Just, ASMR is disgusting. <laughs> ASMR is weird. It's I'm absolutely disgusting vile. It, it, de- it depends on what the ASMR is of, right? Well, sure. Like, I like listening to rain sounds. That's ASMR. But what I don't like is hearing a woman spit in the in the... the <laughs> The back of her throat while she's tapping on her overgrown nails. That is vile. How does that help people sleep? It makes you want to throw up. Bodily function ones are definitely weird. Uh, ones that I actually like are uh, people cutting into sand. Sure. Like, you know, I mean, like, you know, like the magic pleasing. sand. And it's, yeah. oh, yeah, but even just hearing it, like, t- you, I can close my eyes and just hear the. <laughs> And I'm like, oh yeah, oh baby, give it See, to me. Like, like I'll throw on like a restoration video, like someone fixing like an old medieval axe that's been buried in the ground for a thousand years. That's sick. oh yeah. But again, and just get off on the of the grinder sound. Right. I say get listen. I'm clearly being hyperbolic here, but no, I I agree. There's times where it's like the audioscape of something is just pleasing. I, yeah. I have never sought out ASMR on purpose. I have been subjected to it because it did not clear. It didn't clarify itself as ASMR, and then I click on it just to be like, "Bro, what?" The only time ASMR has ever been good is in the Twenty One Savage song ASMR. What's next? I don't know. Twenty One Savage song being good. I think you've lost me already. You should listen to that song. It's sick. I'm honestly just being facetious. I don't think I've ever heard a 21 Savage song. All I can remember is when the internet got all up in arms over the fact <laughs> he's that he's British. apparently British. <laughs> That's so yeah. funny to this day. Yeah, good times. Anyway, over on Facebook, Joshua Lago, who you may remember from his stint on Midweek Matinee. Um, that's deep cut right there. Um, he has been also a long, long-time patron. So thank you, Josh. Uh, he says, I feel like the more recent a remake is, the more it begs the question how much I care about fidelity fidelity versus just focusing on enjoying the experience, especially for console exclusives. Clearly, performance wasn't my ultimate deciding factor, so incremental improvements a few years later don't exactly make something a must-play for me especially with the sheer, vol- the sheer volume of new releases nowadays. Sometimes I want to play something new over the extra pretty edition of a familiar title, which I think is a pretty good answer, but I think the inverse is also eventually true for everyone. Sometimes people just like playing the extra pretty edition of a familiar title. I know that I do. I mean, I part of the reason I'm so stoked about like Crisis Core getting a December release date for a game I literally replayed last year and, and adored and loved, I don't even need to replay it. 
But you bet your ass I want to replay that game looking better than ever. I just do. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it, it's weird. Also, there. I mean, like, it, it, he, he's right, though. Fidelity versus focusing on the experience does come into play because the fidelity jump may not be as massive. Like, you know, arguably speaking, The Last of Us Part 1 is not as big of a fidelity leap from The Last of Us Remastered or even the original Last of Us as Crisis Core Reunion is going to be to Crisis Core. But that's also just because Crisis Core is not only significantly older, 2008, but also from a handheld that played at 240p or whatever. I think it was 240p. So point being... It's not surprising that the game has that much bigger of a jump, and I'm excited for that. But it, it's a good question to ask. Fidelity versus enjoyment of the experience. And in vain of that, I like the follow-up. And this is a different, this is on Twitter, but it's it's next in line, and that's good. Um, Matt Easy at Dom Poopy Pants. <laughs> that's a great handle. <laughs> All remakes are unnecessary until Dino Crisis 1 and 2 combo is made and maybe Twisted Metal Black. Straight up agree. (laughs) He said, I'd rather have a port of the original first in some instances, looking at you, Konami, port all Metal Gear Solid games first to PS4, PS5, before you try remaking any of them. It's easy money. Then remake. And I think what he's the point there is that sometimes people just love a game for what it was, not for what it can be, not for what it can look like. Sometimes, like, you know, Chris, a good example is when you were yeah. talking about how hideous you thought Siphon Filter looked when you were <laughs> playing it. Yeah. But you also have no nostalgia for that game, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I guarantee you, as they know and probably have data for, someone played Siphon Filter on PS5 and was like, fuck yes. I absolutely love the way this game looks. This game looks like shit in the way I remember. <laughs> yeah, which is, there's something to be said for that, you know? I mean, well, it makes complete sense. Like, I remember I would play Slugfest as a kid and I thought the players looked real. And if I, if I played it now, it would look like six hot dogs on strings. Like, I understand that. But, <laughs> dude, yeah, it's what it's so weird the way your brain remembers things so much more fondly than they were. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. across everything, but you definitely see it in games. It's, I'm going to be honest, while I was playing through The Last of Us Part 1, it looks phenomenal. It it does. It looks better than The Last of Us Part 2. Already a phenomenal looking game as well, right? Yeah. But. Your brain says that that's how it looked. I'm going to be honest. The entire time I was playing it, I was like, bro, this is the exact emotions an exact way I feel and remember this game looking when I played it on PS3 in 720p on a 32-inch TV in 2013. Yeah. And that's not to discount what they've done for this game because my real opinion is that a good remake should make you feel like you're playing the game that you remember when you're not. <laughs> I agree, 100%. So... And that's actually why I think I was so surprised that Resident Evil 2 and to a lesser degree Resident Evil 3's remakes were so broadly loved because in all honesty, 
they are different games. They change a lot about those games. Uh, not massively, but they change the game. They change the way they play. They change the cameras. They change it to a thing where, yes, it is approaching something you're familiar with. But I was so pr- surprised at how many people were just like, ah, it doesn't really matter that I'm not playing with these odd camera angles that added to the suspense back in the day, but just prettier. I was really surprised that the game got a, got away with changing so much with so little vocal opposition. Um, which I guess just goes to show you the quality of the, of the game because it was so good that people didn't care about the changes <laughs> despite yeah. the fact. So, so Brett, very, very quickly, I'm going to send you something on discord. I'm curious how irresponsible you are with your money. Oh, don't even right now. Uh, actually, so Chris, I want I want you to know something. Sure, tell me. If you look behind me, you have it, huh? Right, right there. You That's will see. It. Yeah, you will see my scale replica Killzone trophy, uh, Killzone Hellgas mask. Okay. And if you look, hold on, I think it's over here. Yeah, if you look back here, the see-through sniper. Is, uh-huh. is sitting over here on my shelf. Yes, I absolutely have this. You want to know the you, you want to know the bigger thing? What I bought this penis? entire collector's edition for forty dollars. Oh shit! Brand new at GameStop. Yeah. You know the more funny thing? Tell Originally, me. it was my pre-order that when it came out, I did not have enough money to afford. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought the normal version of the game, and it sat there unpurchased. For two years, and, they finally and it kept getting it price 40? dropped. It, no, it price dropped because eventually they do that just to get rid of stock, and it, it price dropped to forty. And I went in and I was like, "Yeah, I'll buy that." <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome story. Yeah, it's it's good times, but yes, fantastic. The Killzone Three Hellgast Edition is awesome, which you can have on eBay for one hundred and forty four ninety five. Honestly, of- dude, that's a that's a good price. I'm, yeah, I'm being dead honest. Bad that's, a, that's a good price. I would that's buy it. That's cheaper than it was day one. True. True, true, true. And it's sealed. Yep. I would like everyone to know I did acquire 3D Dot Game Heroes. I know I'm on a tangent, sorry. But I got Go it for, for $40 less than it's selling on eBay. So I'm very excited. It's here. I have it. I finally sold my 500 million PlayStation 4 Pro. Oh, which led to some issues. Not, yeah, it did. I still have to <laughs> fix your account. I'll do that after this. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's whatever. You made some. What money I realized is I did clear everything. I didn't realize that you have to manually deactivate. I thought when you cleared the system, it deactivates for you. It does not. No. You have to manually do that before you clear it, and then it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so your account was never in jeopardy. He didn't. He couldn't log into your account. But when he went to initialize the the system, it said this is this is already linked to two accounts, right? And he was like, "Hey, uh, both of your accounts <laughs> are still linked <laughs> here." He said it within like forty minutes of me selling it to him. So that man got home, plugged the system in, and was like, "Hey, dude, just wanted you to know," which is very nice of him. I'm glad. Yeah, that's cool. So, but he didn't buy it just to collect it. Otherwise, we'd never know. <laughs> right it would be sitting there <laughs> still there um but yeah so that means i have by process of elimination i am keeping the 20th anniversary ps1 
edition PlayStation right 4 call. as my collector's item. Uh, even though I actually visually prefer the 500 million, I think it's a very pretty console. It looked it beautiful. Is. The PS1 colored one looks beautiful. It's just, it's not, I don't ogle at it as much. I also mm-hmm. thought the PS4 Pro was a really cool design. I like the PS4 Pro. Agreed. The gold accents was a really nice touch. Uh, but going back to what we were on, uh, yeah, I think sometimes people just like playing something exactly as they remembered. And I think to that degree, people really like the idea of straight up ports. Um, and that's why more often than not, I think if they can find a way to meet that middle ground, you know, people talk about, uh, you remember Phil Spencer and a few other people have talked <coughs> about preservation of gaming. And yeah. some people like to look at preservation of gaming and sometimes it's necessary as remastering or remaking a title so they can be experienced again, because the sad part of gaming history is that, Long ago, they didn't really f- have a lot of foresight about the future of gaming, and that means they were kind of careless about original files and keeping those. So sometimes they would just save over data because they were working on a new title and they needed that room, and they would just literally delete large swaths, if not the entirety of a game. Um and its original files, or sometimes some computer issue would happen, it wouldn't be backed up anywhere else, and they would just lose the master files. Uh, and that sucks. But ideally, you know, Chris, we talked about last week about the cost aspect of um, the Sly Cooper games and True. why they probably chose to do the HD trilogy instead of the originals. Um, but one of the biggest controversies from the HD trilogy is that in the first game, when you're going against um, Madam, whatever her name is, she's a crocodile, and she's like a, a voodoo crocodile, like, you know, kind of Louisiana, Southern. <laughs> and the whole thing with it, it may, it may just be Haitian. I don't really know, but I, I can't remember her thing. But point being, there's a, there's a mini game where she's like throwing they sings at you and you're essentially guitar heroing it up. You have to hit the buttons at the right timing to get through it. And it was harder on PS3 because I don't know if you remember this. Whenever gaming went into HD, Guitar Hero fucking suffered. Yeah, it did. <laughs> because whenever you were still dealing with cathode TVs and you know, original uh, TVs, you didn't have uh, the issue of audio sync. But when you went into HD, audio sync became a huge issue. So you wouldn't notice it from just like watching and hearing, but you would notice it when you're trying to do a rhythm game where you need to be able to hit something in time. And I don't know if everyone may remember how suddenly as Guitar Hero went into the PS3 gen, people started having to uh, do sync. You know, you had, you had to, what do they actually call it? Calibrate. You had to calibrate your instruments and everything to your TV You'd have to do sound and video tests. Um, and that was happening there. But point being all, about all of this is that there would actually seemingly be some value in keeping the original version because there's aspects of it that people prefer. Now, would the audio sync issue still happen in Sly Cooper 1 on a modern TV? I don't know. I don't know if the issue came because of HD or if it came because of a coding error. Um, but at the end of the day, if all of these companies really cared about gaming preservation while still wanting to be able to make a profit ideally they would just be like, I know it's going to take a little bit more work, but we'll port these games to the system for the little bit of money that it costs. And then you'll still have to buy it, but you'll at least be able to play it. Um, which comes with some interesting 
aspects to it because you know xbox in many ways did that throughout the 360 gen i mean throughout the uh, xbox one gen with original xbox games and 360 games but a lot of them got boost modes and i don't know if you could turn those off like you know what if you want to play these games in their original 480p and not in 1080p what if you want to play 720p red dead redemption (laughs) on xbox one rest in peace you can't. You can play the PS3 version though. Like I, I don't know if you can or can't. Actually, I think the system forces it to go into the thing. I don't know, but it's I'm an interesting sure conversation. I, in an ideal situation, it would be available to play at modern resolutions and original resolutions, just so you can toy around with it. But oh well. Uh, we got some from Discord over on Discord. Our longtime patron and listener, TT Dog Six Six Six. He says, "I'd say ten years." or two generations for a remake. So PlayStation 3 and 360-era games would now be ripe for remaking. Something from the previous generation is too much of a cash-in. Uh, cash See Skyrim, The Last of Us, at all, unless it's given away free if you own the original. And this leads to a really interesting thing. I want to hear if maybe I'm misunderstanding. I want to hear your reasoning as to why Skyrim and The Last of Us are what you're using as examples for a cash-in when both of those games are PS3 and 360-era games. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, The Last of Us would arguably fit your criteria, um, even though, fair enough, it was on the edge of the PS3. I mean, it was a swan song in many ways. Uh, that and Beyond Two Souls were the last two big games. Uh, I guess Gran Turismo 6 as well, actually, um, for PS3. But... Skyrim 2011, if they were to remake Skyrim now, Skyrim would be 11 years old. Actually, I'm kind of surprised they didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, but why remake a game that you can just endlessly remaster and keep selling? Watch all of Skyrim be in Elder Scrolls 6. It's like Armadillo. It's like Red Dead Redemption 1's map being in RDR 2. It's just all of Skyrim Spoiler. you can play. <laughs> but no, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, it, it's like uh, it's like Pokemon Crystal and you know uh, Silver Gold Crystal, where you can go through and do the entire Kanto or whatever region. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler. Yeah, um, that would actually kind of be cool. It would be cool. I would also hate it. I, I don't what? know how to describe it. You're like walking in a random cave, you get hit over the head and knocked out, and then all of Skyrim starts, and you have to beat that and go back to Elder Scrolls Six as the Dragonborn. Oh, you're awake. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to max out the Dragonborn, go back to Elder Scrolls Six, and that's when the game continues. You know, a real question that I don't think they do, but since we're on this weird topic, do you think that because Skyrim was so popular that they would be driven to put in some kind of feature like you see in games like uh, Mass Effect 2 and 3 and all those to where if the game recognizes a save from Skyrim, something happens. Do you think that they would do that just because of... like they, You can argue and say, well, they didn't do that in Skyrim, but that's also because prior to Skyrim, no Elder Scrolls game had been that big. Like They had been big, but they had never become that. Just like prior to Fallout 4... Fallout had never been as big as Fallout 4 made it. You know what I mean? It's the year before Elder Scrolls 6 and they release Skyrim Save Import Edition and you you have to play through that whole version. <laughs> but that leads to the question, would it be the Dragonborn leaving the, the province of Skyrim 
and going to where do they say the new one's going to be place taking place in? Is it Verdenfall or Red the Redfall? Whatever. Area. I don't know where. Is it? I don't remember where it's at. Or if, or is it where the where the high elves are from? Which is uh, I can't remember. My uh, <laughs> I, I'm really I can't even remember the the landmass of Elder Scrolls off the top of my head right now. What do they call it? I've been remember. playing so much RuneScape that I want to say Gelinor because that's the the mass of RuneScape, but I know that's yeah. not it. I want to say Hardhome, and that's Game of Thrones. So it starts with a T, like Tamriel. Tamriel. But, there we go. I got it. Yeah, anyway. I still got it. I, I don't know. Okay. I feel like I feel like restricting a remake is stupid. It kind of goes back to what Josh Ayers was saying. It's like if you don't want it, don't buy it. Like if they if they were to remake The Last of Us one again on the PS6, and it was just a still a good version of The Last of Us, but it's on the PS6. Who cares? I'm gonna be honest. I don't think that that's that far out of the realm of possibility. Probably not. <laughs> At that point, they would just do like a. Oh well, we've remastered it for the PS One, Five, Six, and it comes with factions for free and a copy or a five dollar off coupon off the Last of Us Part Two remake with a new interlude ending into the Last of Us Part Three. You know, like I none of that would surprise me. Maybe, and it's one hundred and twenty dollars—the new price that we're setting <laughs> as the standard for PlayStation Six for AAA games. games? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh. Um. But yeah, I, I think that that one, I mean, like, because I agree, like, Dead Space, I think Dead Space is ripe for a remake. Even, I, th- I still think the original Dead Space is actually a pretty good looking game. Of of the PS360 games, I think that it's actually one of the better, because its design holds up. It's not necessarily that its graphical fidelity is that high. Its design was leaning into the limitations of the system. Uh, though, dude, Dead Space 3, however controversial it may be, is a fucking <coughs> gorgeous game. It's a looker. The game is beautiful. It is, it, oh man, the particle systems in that game look fantastic. Isaac looks better than ever. His armor looks so good. I do, If you just let me play that game in 4K right now, it'd probably still look stellar. Definitely when you don't have to deal with character models. Like when his, when his face armor's on and you just get to deal with the geometry of armor, it looks pristine. Yeah. All right, I'm glad you like it. Fuck yeah. Very cool game. I actually thought Dead Space 3 was a pretty good game, <clears throat> but I'm very excited about the remake as well. Same. Uh, so yeah, I'd be curious to see that one, but we're seeing a lot of games from the PS3 era come back around. I think Demon Souls was very ripe for it, but I also think that remakes are good ground for games that had big cult followings, uh, but had issues. Like, I think Shadow of the Colossus getting remade was great because Shadow of the Colossus on PS2 really pushed PS2 and frame dropped all the time, didn't have, you know, didn't have a great uh, draw distance. You had things that were holding it back pretty severely. And I think the same was was true of Demon's Souls. Demon's Souls, of all of the, the Souls games, was the worst made of them all due to the fact that it underwent a lot of strife throughout development in the first place. Um I think a game that was as cutting edge as The Last of Us, it is a little harder for people to immediately see the utility of a remake, whereas those other two examples are a little more easily acceptable. Whether or not they're, it's a value, whether or not it's a valid remake or not, outside of the question. Um, 
You got one more from Awesome Dave one three three seven, also a patron. Thank you, thank every one of our patrons, and that you guys are giving us love by answering. Um, but you know, this is a weird uh, aside, technically, about the community's take. But one of the things I like about the community's take is it kind of lets you know, it kind of gives you a pulse check on the real community and how much they care about something. And the reason I say that is that everyone who follows us and does these things can see this. And sometimes we get a lot of responses and sometimes we don't get a lot. And I don't think it's necessarily people just choosing not to engage uh, for no reason other than I don't feel like engaging. I think what really happens here is that people read this and they think, well, this is my chance to say something if I want to. And they go, I don't really care. And I think that is a good tool because it can give you an idea of how much or how little the more broad gaming community at large cares about something. And I think that this is probably good for The Last of Us Part 1 because for the most part, people chose not to say anything. (laughs) And then when they did, kind of varied between them. But um, Awesome Dave 1337 he says, I feel that as long as there are decent upgrades or changes made to the game, then time is a moot point in regards to a remake. Short, sweet, simple. And at the end of the day, you know what I, you know what I thought of, Chris, what as like a perfect of, what if for this scenario? If CD Projekt Red were to say, we are remaking Cyberpunk 2077 from the ground up, two years, three years out from release, whatever we want to call it, so that we can fulfill the promise of what the game could have and should have been, how would people feel? I would be legitimately hyped. Like I would be It's stoked. weird because I feel like I would be too because of the fact that it's like, you tell me I get to experience that same game, but with none of the frustration of the bugs, with even more graphical fidelity. And now, of course, the first thing that people are going to say is, how can we trust you this time <laughs> if we're being honest? Oh, for sure. But the, but the next thing would be, let's say they actually deliver. The game right out of the gate is technically solid all of the bugs that you had to deal with in that game are not there none of the graphical issues none of the crashing is there and instead you have a pristine version of cyberpunk 2077 that is devoid of and never has to deal with any of the controversy of the first game that would be amazing and i would be so hype and i'm technically gonna give it away for myself right now because of how much i love that game i would probably pay 60 dollars again for it (laughs) i would pay 70 and I'll tell you, I don't think that I should have to. Realistically, if they felt like they bungled that game so bad that they needed to remake it to capture the promise, I would hope that that would be free, if not incredibly cheap, for everyone who can prove they already own the game. Ideally, but eighty dollars. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I would pay the sixty or seventy dollars. I would too. That game's awesome. To be fair, it would also be PlayStation Rewards points. So take with that what you will, because it's not real $70. It's make-believe $70. But that is uh, it for the community's take. We hope that for this episode, we have one that was uh, user-submitted, and it pertains to God of War, which is timely, because he actually sent this suggestion before the new God of War trailer. So... uh, this might give some new insight uh, from you guys in the community. That being said, we're going to go ahead with the news, which the news is pretty stacked and we're an hour into this episode already. So uh, buckle up buckaroos. 
and uh, let's get going on this. <laughs> First thing up, Ubisoft's forward event came and passed, and while it brought forth a lot of Assassin's Creed news, and I mean a lot of Assassin's Creed news, we got little nuggets of other games as well. Starting things off with the Assassin's Creed news, the leaks were all correct, which Ubisoft pretty much confirmed beforehand, but uh, Assassin's Creed Mirage is the next game in the series. And we'll experiment to a degree in not only gameplay, which will see the series return mostly to the pillars of the original title, those being stealth, parkour, and assassinations, uh, but with some of the modern elements mixed in as well. But also experimenting with the price as the game is available for pre-order at $49.99 USD. No gameplay shown, just a CGI trailer and a vague 2023 release. But... As we get closer, I'm sure we'll see more. Um, what I think is interesting about this is that this price is also pretty much side by side with them announcing that moving forward, they will be charging $70 for AAA games as well. Um, and one thing I like about this in particular is regardless of my hype or lack thereof either way for Mirage, I think it's interesting for them to say, we're going to charge $70 for AAA games, but here's Mirage, a new entry in our premier AAA series, our, our premier, premier AAA IP, and we're not charging $70. Um, I think that that is a, quite a statement. Uh, but I think, Chris, you're, cl- you're clearly excited for this game because of what it's essentially promising to be. What are your thoughts on this? I don't know. I'm just very hyped that we're getting a good Assassin's Creed game again. It's been a long time. A presumably good Assassin's Creed game built on the well, bones of what you consider to be good Assassin's Creed, right? Sure. And it's not open world, and I don't imagine you can get many boats in Baghdad. So everything I don't like about Assassin's Creed doesn't seem to be here. Well, it's interesting because I was oh, thinking no. about that too. Do you <laughs> no, no do this is a real it's a question that's plagued a lot of games for a long time. I thought you were gonna tell Would me you, they had boats in that in Baghdad. No, I no, I don't <laughs> I don't have that bad news for you. Um, it's like there's a the bigger river. question is: you said it's not open world, but it is. They're calling it open world, but oh, I hadn't seen there's, that. But there's two very different forms because I would argue, and I think a lot of people would, that in many ways, Assassin's Creed One is an open world title. I, I was about to say those games are open world. It's just not the same open world. It's not the oh, well, there's check boxes everywhere, and you have to clear a thousand question marks just so that you can get like a little trinket for Avor's belt. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. no, I'm good. Like just give me a good story. Let me get up behind people and assassinate them. And it actually kills them. It doesn't just take away a quarter of their health bar. You know, the most ridiculous thing in those games is that they took away the assassinations. They're not assassination games anymore. Yeah. Well, I have a weird Assassin's Creed 1 topic to go off of. One of the biggest off-putting things to me for Assassin's Creed 1 is that all of the assassinations that matter in the game, that drive the plot forward, you don't actually kill them yourself. You walk Uh up to them, you hit a button, and a cutscene plays out where Altair stabs them, and then while they're bleeding out, they give you plot dump. Yeah, and then you move like on to that. the next one that you do that. And I hated that. Oh, I, I remember when they first announced it, I was like, this is going to be like Hitman or um, 
the 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 dark uh, brotherhood contracts in oblivion which i adore because i love the idea of like sneaking into the house in oblivion and unscrewing the mounts the mounted head screws in a passageway in the wall so that it falls on the guy's head and kills him and i did all that and a cutscene doesn't take over and do it it just happens fluidly within gameplay um i love that and so when they were first talking about assassin's creed i was like that sounds dope and then i played it and my friend let me borrow it and i started playing it and i was like yeah i'm about to kill this guy and i was like i'm gonna have to plan the right way to do it and instead i just had to walk up to a dude in a busy street hit triangle <laughs> and then a cutscene started playing and i was like that's fucking it I love that's the, it. I love that. I love the way you hit the button and the screen starts like going, and then it all changes into that white background. And then he With goes, the like, he, weird he, stuff. Yeah. And then he has that, you guys in the middle of a busy street after you've just stabbed the Pope in the chest, he's like lamenting about his home life. It's so uh-huh. good. So good. Uh, what I love about it is it goes like all Star Wars episode two to where it's like it's just you and the guy that yeah. you killed having an, a, a romantic evening in the animus. Mm-hmm. You're you deep know, inside him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the yeah. best. You're, you're six inches deep inside of him. <laughs> yeah, at least. And he's, and he's spilling all these, uh, his, his backstory about his life. You're really getting to know him while you penetrate him. You know, yeah, that's, you're an average size blade. They say romance is dead. <laughs> I hated that. So my hope this time is that they kind of, I don't mind that setup of gameplay. I thought one kind of fumbled a lot of areas, but it had promise. And I, this is a weird statement. I played two because I was like, surely they're going to do two better. It'll be good. And I played two and about three hours into two, I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> still and because i didn't love one after beating it i was like i'm just gonna not play this anymore but then brotherhood came out and i worked at gamestop so i checked out brotherhood and brotherhood was fucking awesome brotherhood is probably my favorite assassin's creed game and then i did not play revelations at all and i don't know why i actually can't even describe that one to you i think it was just in a year where so much more was happening and revelations felt like weird dlc to brotherhood even though it honestly wasn't. <laughs> I don't know how I to think describe it's it. so dope. But I just was like, I'm good. So I've never played Revelations. I played two and didn't like it. I Whoa. played Brotherhood and adored it. Yeah. And that's and and then I didn't like three. Three's and old. then I liked Assassin's Creed three liberation enough to beat it, but I didn't just like love it. But it was okay. I have a very odd Assassin's Creed relationship because then I didn't play Assassin's Creed again until I played Brotherhood on PSP not Brotherhood I'm sorry Um, uh, what was it called Blood something now I gotta remember Assassin's Creed Blood Bloodlines maybe hold on yes bloodlines and the reason i played it is because when they showed it off on psp i was like bro there's no way they've got like a full-fledged assassin's creed game on psp and they did (laughs) they did and i played enough of it because i was just impressed that they pulled it off to be honest that was all it was yeah Uh, if you've never seen it if you just want to look at like a 2007 or 2008 whatever it was psp game and just kind of be impressed that they were able to pull it off at all to any degree 
it's worth looking at some of the screenshots. It's it's a very interesting experience. Um, that said, yeah, I I, uh, I didn't play Assassin's Creed again until um, Origins, and I didn't hate Origins, but I think that's because I didn't have that long built love for Assassin's Creed going through all of AC one through Revelations through some people loved unity some people hated it <laughs> you know so i like unity yeah um i had a friend who absolutely adored syndicate but i remember syndicate was where a lot of people were kind of like i'm kind of tired of the assassin's creed formula at the time i remember a lot of people thought that so you know what they say absence makes the heart grow fond so maybe we just needed some 150 hour rpg Assassin's Creed to make everybody want to play the original style Assassin's Creed again. I agree. I'm very happy for it. All right. Next thing up, Infinity, the long reported Assassin's Creed hub, will act as a platform for the series moving forward. Alongside this, they revealed the first two games for the platform in the way of the long requested trip to feudal Japan with codename Red and an experimental title in the way of codename Hex or Hexa. I don't know how you'd say that. Um, with the suggestion that Hex may feature witchcraft, wonder how that would play into <laughs> play into it. Dog, if that, uh, moving if that forward, game takes place in Salem, I'm so in. I'm pretty sure that's what it sounds like. <coughs> Which I'm also, so I will in. say that sounds super cool. Um, it's interesting that they're going to Japan because, as I'll talk about a little bit later with the state of play news. I feel like Ghost of Tsushima came out and basically did Assassin's Creed in Japan. Realistically. <laughs> uh, now, not depends on who you are as Assassin's Creed fan because it doesn't necessarily do classic AC uh, style stuff. It's more like Assassin's Creed Origins, but set in Japan. But point being, uh, at least you can still one-shot people if you sneak up onto them though, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Still that going for you. So those are those two. And moving forward, the series intends to not only consist of 150-hour RPGs as as recently become their trend, um, which is a really interesting statement. So sometimes they will be, sometimes they won't be. Um, Smartphone gamers get some AC love as well with codename Jade, which is apparently taking place in China, uh, was revealed to be an open-world game for mobile devices that will feature classic AC gameplay coupled with controls that were designed from the ground up to work well with touchscreens. And lastly, Valhalla's final DLC comes in the form of the last chapter to wrap up Eivor, Ivor, however you say that, story. Uh, And that is all of the AC news. So Chris, as the resident person who's somewhat excited for anything AC-related, what's your overall takeaway from all this news? Um, I mean, I'm, it's a lot of Assassin's Creed. That's really the biggest thing. Well, That's a lot dude, of Assassin's I think it's, Creed. I think it's bold to announce four games in one year. It is. But I do think they're trying to establish what Infinity is going to be. So it does make sense to announce, I guess, if you want it to be like, this is a platform. There's two games we're announcing for it. So you can understand that not just one thing is coming to AC Infinity. But mm-hmm. it is a lot of Assassin's Creed. The only thing that I find funny about it is that we got to a point where after Syndicate, they stopped doing yearly Assassin's Creed because it was kind of understood that there was Assassin's Creed burnout. And so they started that every other year thing, which I think was smart. Um, 
But now, what the, it doesn't mean these games are coming out, but it's hard to completely escape in my mind, oh, this is just Assassin's Creed fatigue all over again. The saving grace here is that they're clearly willing to experiment with the titles. And so if I don't want to play an Odyssey-style game set in feudal Japan, I don't have to, but I can play a, a much smaller scoped game where I get to do witchcraft in Salem as an assassin, which mm-hmm. honestly does sound sick. I'll give you that. That sounds very cool. So I don't know. I think it's a, I think overall this is positive for me. I can see a doorway for me to start wanting to play Assassin's Creed games again, which is new for me because Odyssey scared me away from the playing Assassin's Creed game ever again. <laughs> I'm not even going to remotely lie. I played Odyssey and I was like, no, nah, fuck this. I'm out. Bounce, bounce. Um, the rest of the Ubisoft Forward is Skull and Bones received a trailer showing us a look at the game's customization and trading network ahead of its impending November 8th release, along with the revelation that the game will feature cross-platform play at launch, which is probably good for the longevity of that game. Also, quick thoughts aside, this just looks like realistic graphic Sea of Thieves, but not quite as good. And I'm really trying to keep from giving that comparison. It's just so hard to not see it. It's like they're trying to play catch up from a feature standpoint to a game that has had these features and continues to grow them way after. I'd be really curious to see how this game does. Because I would I would be curious to see if some people don't play Sea of Thieves, I wonder if, if that exists because of the art style. I feel like we know how this game is going to do strictly because of the release date. <laughs> I think so as well, but that actually feeds really well into the the uh, community's take question. So uh, okay. be really interesting to see. I still ultimately think you're right. Um, but yeah, I'd be curious to see. Uh, Trackmania, a longtime PC exclusive racer from Ubisoft, was announced to be heading to current gen consoles as well as Google Stadia and Amazon Luna, these still rather nascent streaming platforms. Also, all of these other games that have been being talked about have been announced as Stadia and Luna products as well. Um, so it looks like Infinity will be on those, that platform will be on those platforms. Um, Just Dance continues as usual and was announced for a 2023 release alongside getting Rainbow Six Mobile's first gameplay reveal alongside news of a closed beta for anybody who's into that. And The Division Heartland, which is the free-to-play new entry in the online series described as, quote, survival action shooter, is still in the works with another testing phase that interested players can sign up for to give it a shot ahead of its actual release. They're still apparently aiming for 2022 or 2023. Doesn't give a lot of information. We got updates on other existing games uh, that took over the most of the remainder of the show. But at the end, Netflix and Ubisoft announced a partnership that intends to adapt Assassin's Creed into live action once more, this time seemingly not as a movie, as well as three exclusive, this is where it kind of lost me, mobile games for those of the players that have a Netflix subscription which sounds like you can't play the games on Netflix, but you can play them on phone so long as you have a Netflix subscription. Yeah, I thought that was weird, weird. wording. Eh, I don't know, but it'll be a new game in the Valiant Heart series, which is part of the UBART um, thing, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, a new roguelite. Um, so new IP on that one. And an original Assassin's Creed title, which I wonder if that is... 
I didn't actually watch Ubisoft lore and I had to catch up on it. Is that the open world smartphone game? Probably. That would make the most sense. Or are they doing two? I don't know. We will definitely see. I would be surprised. Um, Yeah, I mean, but that's pretty much everything that was going on there. Ubisoft Forward was quite large, (laughs) but I'm not a huge Ubisoft fan. So I kind of had had a hard time having a lot of want to care, if I'm just being honest (laughs) in this situation. Um, I got Ubisoft burnout because all of their games are so homogenous that that's actually probably the reason I'm a little excited uh, strictly about the Assassin's Creed. Because if you can move Assassin's Creed away from the Ghost Recon, Far Cry, um, every you know the Division, every type of game being the same thing, that would be great. <laughs> Just because Ubisoft deserves from uh, a little bit of variety, which they do have elsewhere, but not in their biggest series. Um, so maybe Skull and Crossbones will do well. Or Skull, Skull and Bones. Bones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on from Ubisoft, Chris's game that he bought for how much? $5. Five dollars at Best Buy. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, honestly, for five dollars, I might, I might have gotten it too if I'd have known. Uh, the struggling <laughs> game of Babylon's Fall uh, from Platinum Games has announced plans to terminate service for the title on February twenty eighth, two thousand twenty three. That is exactly one year to the date from launch. Uh, this move brings with it the cancellation of two large scale updates that were intended for the title, but the remaining time will still run through the planned season seasons that they already had for that time period and they've mentioned that they're going to do uh as a show of thanks for the players that are still playing throughout that time they're going to host a lot of events and things to try and get people to experience as much of the game as possible before that end of service date and since this game is like this i have a feeling and it definitely seems as such that this game will be completely dead after servers go dead i believe so Uh, you will not be able to play anything which is Interesting. It's why I think games like this are so... It's like you have no future. The moment that you decide you have to shut these games down, there's no way for people to want to come and play them later because they can't play anything. You can't even have somebody find love later. That's why I really like the idea of games that can be played online and offline. But that's, you know, that's getting lesser and lesser. It's going down the exact, exactly a year from when it launched. That's insane. Yeah. But and the it's more insane is it's being announced this early. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. They probably just don't want anyone people to buy it. Wait, Chris. Yes, hi. Is this going to be your first time nabbing a platinum before servers close? It might be. Yeah, I might do it. Assuming you don't just hate the game. Absolutely. If I like it a little bit, I'll go for it. Chris, if you play the game and you hate it, will you please mail me the game? <laughs> yeah. So I can stop, try it. I'll stop playing Red Dead just for you, and I'll mail you, and I'll be Platinum. Oh no, Babylon's you can fall. you can hold off, Chris. We have a uh, we have five months. That's fair. Six months, five months, whatever. We have we're months. fine. Yeah, we have months. You can play your Red Dead. Keep your uh, addiction going. All okay? right, boy. <laughs> That's a good boy. That's a good boy. My my horse is a girl though, sadly. So I, that's a good girl. Mine was too, actually. Yeah, yeah, mine was too. But the boy was funny. Um, oh man, I am actually excited for you to get to the end of the game because I want to talk to you about it. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm 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 really liking it. Red Dead's really good. Fuck you. Uh, I, I don't know. 
you, you're talking about if it keeps going the way it is, it'd be a top five. I don't really know where I would put Red Dead for me. The best way I could just describe it is it's a it's a it's a very memorable game. Mm-hmm. Aside from whether it needs to be in some kind of top anything list, it's a game that sticks with me, and that's probably that's enough said. Yeah, I don't know. It's just I was wrong. <laughs> I I have been so far proven wrong, but I'm it's, there's still time for me to be proven right. That's all I gotta say. Well, we'll see. <laughs> if we that will. fucking if that crocodile kills you again, <laughs> it might be it might be over. It might be Dunskies for the Red Dead Two. It might be anything is possible. But again, the missions I've done, the missions that happen like end of chapter three, so fucking good. <laughs> so it's good. crazy though because you went through those missions before, but it seems like you did not have the same high. Like it didn't, it, you had a good opinion, but it's like right now you have like a high about the game, even though you've technically experienced this all before you're like, bro, I, this is so good. Well, I also don't remember a lot of it. Like, is the, this like, is this like pregnancy? It might be, you know, where they're like, they talk about like whenever a, a woman has a baby that they tend that the body will eventually like, give rose tinted glasses to the experience where you don't remember how much pain you went through and all the weird hormonal imbalances that you went through <laughs> because it's your body trying to get you to have a baby again. So for our species to survive. Yeah. Like, is that what it is? It might is this be. your brain being like for, for me as a gamer to survive, I need to, I need to not have negative memories. <laughs> of Red Dead 2. Yeah. I need you well, to experience all this. Like it's amazing. I, maybe it's just the stuff that was bothering me back then, but it's also been a long time. Like I played this game on release up to chapter four, 2018. That's yeah. four years. It's been four years. So you're a different like, person than when you played the game. I am a different person. You've watched thing, like, parts of Irreversible. I have watched you're parts changed. of Irreversible. You're a I watched, changed man. I watched Elevator to the Gallows and saw a little girl steal a very important plot point. Wait, elevators to the gallows? You, you mean the Dark Souls of cinema? <laughs> <laughs> no, Citizen Kane is the Dark Souls. That was of Citizen cinema. Kane. I'm sorry, you're right. But elevators this is like to the its distant cousin. Is the not pretentious 1954 French movie, which I'd like to point out. Blake said he was not being pretentious, <laughs> which I don't know, dog. Funniest thing. I will never regret doing midweek matinee. It was so. Sp- so stupid and so many great moments of my life came from that show me cackling me cackling into the air vents about our weird porn conversation in the middle of house of a thousand corpses is one of the fondest memories i have i haven't told so funny i haven't told the story but like i I, I told it in the discord but for the audience my boss started listening to midweek matinee (laughs) and she came up to me was like I just listened to the House of a Thousand Corpses episode. That was funny. I was like, oh, thanks. And then I remembered what was in the House of a Thousand Corpses episode. I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, how much more did you listen? Because I'm going to tell you, this show has clearly changed. And you guys as the listeners essentially have to tell us to some degree, this show is shaped from us and you to some degree. Fair. And that's because of the dynamic of what the show is. Uh, and, and it's already been something. And if we're going to change it to some degree, I think we owe it to the listeners to give a change. But Chris and I, I don't know what it is, Chris, something about you diminishes my ability to 
control myself to the degree that I used to in earlier days of the show. I think some of it's that the show's been going on long enough that I don't need to have that, you know, that I don't, I don't want it wasn't a mask. That's really not true. But I, I, I was compartmentalizing parts of myself, of myself for the show. I am a, a goofball. I like to, I cuss a lot. It's, it's who I am. I, I cuss when it matters. I have friends who do not like it, and I actually go out of my way to not cuss around them, much like I, so I compartmentalize around friends similar to the way I did in the show. But the point being is the show is clearly a lot more, you know, rowdy and raucous with Chris and I uh, <laughs> at the helm by nature of our personalities interacting. But at the time of midweek matinee when Chris wasn't doing this show with us, I think what made that so interesting is that this show was like buttoned up. And that show was. was like <laughs> the best way I can describe it is like dick swinging. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it was like anything goes, and it led to some really interesting, truly interesting and introspective conversations, and some of the most wild and ridiculous bits and conversations that I have been a part of and it was very fun we should i should get those edited because i still would love for people to uh hear our conversation about top half hulk or bottom half hulk (laughs) oh yeah there's a there's a treasure trove right there i also want people to know and i'll go ahead and say it right now that i think the incredible hulk is a better movie than the the first iron man i enjoy both of them All right. Well, then you should be glad that the guy who smiles at the end is coming back. Oh, okay. Interesting. More importantly, I thought I'm clearly alone in that, but then my coworker who's real big into Marvel stuff was talking to me about Thor Ragnarok, or not, sorry, Thor uh, Love and Thunder and how he thought it was a little too funny. Like he like he goes it's, it's relentless with jokes. He goes, "I kind of got tired of it." And he's like he's like the same type of humor was in Ragnarok, but it just didn't beat you over the head with it. Mm-hmm. And then he started talking. He's like, yeah, you know, the older Marvel movies were more serious, even though they still had lighthearted moments. I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, I was like, I love the first Incredible Hulk. And then he goes, yeah, dude, I think the first Incredible Hulk's better than the first Iron Man. I was like, oh, you know what I mean? The, the Edward Norton. And then we, we both had to do that. Like Edward Norton, Eric Bana, different one. <laughs> I do like the Eric Bana ones. It's not but, a terrible movie. Brett, more importantly than that, Crystal Dynamics follows the lead of IO Interactive before them and announced that they have taken control of several key franchises for the studio's history, such as Tomb Raider and Legacy of Kane from Square Enix. This comes as part of the purchase by the Embracer Group. Chris, that is important. That's pretty important. Uh, because it means that the, uh, the kingdom is in new hands. Yeah. I don't know if you remember seeing some of the leaked stuff that was going on about... Apparently, it, it, we don't know if it was Square or Crystal, so it doesn't mean that it's we're out of the muck yet. But there was some stuff talking about how there was apparently some interest in trying to merge the timeline of the original games with the reboot trilogy, and I see zero way to pull that off without it I, just being a clusterfuck. There's a really easy way. Hear me out. Multiverse. multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking, I knew it. Uh, it you know what's crazy of, though? Of considering that everything, considering that it's all about like finding tombs, you can totally convince me in that game. Or if you do it well, you could convince me of saying that Laura finds an old civilization that used multiverses and then she ends up running into her Tomb Raider Underworld version and her original PlayStation trilogy version. 
That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Like, Polygonal that seems tits like and all. A frant that would be so good. <laughs> they bring her out and it's full HD. Like she's a fully rendered HD character where her tits are triangles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I would, I would love, I would, I would hate and love like a Deadpool level of self-referential to where it's like we have the the modern Laura being like, oh, I thought that was because of resolution, <laughs> or I thought that was because of right. polygon counts. <laughs> Well, they could do such cool stuff with that. Where goes, they're like all natural, baby. <laughs> there's like they do like a one of the versions kind of looks like Angelina Jolie. Which one is she based off? Angelina Jolie's Tomb Raider. Do you know the PlayStation ones? Ones I'm pretty sure. Right. So then um, you have you know, which I think new- I think even the PS2 ones, the early PS2 ones, I think were supposed to be a continuation of the PS1 ones. <laughs> okay, so then you have you have one of the Tomb Raiders go. Aren't you married to? Weren't you married to Brad Pitt? You know, something dumb like that, like <laughs> referencing the movie, like that would be cool. Or you get all the movie Tomb Raiders in and all the game Tomb Raiders in, including the Lara Croft Go Tomb Raider, and she can only move one little step at a time throughout the whole game. See, it's weird because like, I, I, I like these ideas of like a flash in the pan. I don't think you can build an entire game around this and have it be anything that actually scratches the Tomb Raider itch. You know what I mean? The, the way you would have to do it, is do a great scene of like they should do a one to one copy of the Spider Man scene where it's like all the Lauras swinging themselves around on grappling hooks or whatever, and then a helicopter comes down and just murders all of them but the one you play as in the game, and then that's how the game continues. As a real like, what could work? and be quick and be referential without going too far would be that you find that she finds this multiverse device that these ancient civilization used and within it, she can see all these fractures of multiple realities and she sees herself in each of these previous incarnations or different iterations. Yeah. And maybe, maybe find some kind of way to communicate with them for a second. Like when she looks at the thing, they all feel a presence and turn towards and they yeah. like look at essentially the camera. Maybe. I mean, the it's real a, way to a, do it, it's a is, big, maybe is to make but, her go to the multiverse. And then the, they go to a multiverse, which is just our world. And it's her exploring in there. And you find like collectibles, which is like a Angelina, tomb, Angelina Jolie, tomb Raider poster, a Alicia Vikander, tomb Raider poster. And then the cases for like tomb Raider, the legacy collection, like that kind of stuff. So it's like, she, yeah. Oh, she's here. It's like, Oh, that's weird. I look different in all of these kind of thing. You know, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, it would be interesting. I mean, I, I honestly don't think a, tr- a real game built around that idea could work. Like a movie totally can because a movie is a passive experience. But I don't, I don't, I don't honestly, I mean, I th- a movie can. That doesn't mean it's for the best, <laughs> which I guess a game can. It doesn't mean it's for the best. Uh, but part of me would like to see the old Laura who's like confident, kind of like bitch smack around, even if it's just verbally like just be so confident and kind of like talk shit to the yeah. the kind of emotional modern take on Laura Croft. I don't know what to tell you, dude. <laughs> I played Tomb Raider Legacy. Like I'm halfway through it and that Laura is just hot and it has nothing to do with like the way she looks. It's just her attitude. It's not even physical. Like, it's yeah. No, no, it's 100%. The attitude. It's like, that's yes, the thing Bobby. about Laura. Yeah. The, the, the thing about Laura Croft as a character is prior to the new ones, she was half of her appeal was not anywhere in relation to her design clearly her design was made to have an appeal to it yes Mm -hmm. but half of what made her so great is just that 
can do fuck it all kind right. of snarky because I know I'm the shit attitude. Yeah. That's it's under being hot like, helps give her the confidence to do whatever the hell she wants. I think her being confident gives her hotness. I mean, it's like a it's like well, a self fulfilling yeah, sure. prophecy. But she's also got double <laughs> D's and a Coke bottle of figure. Like she's hot as fuck, but she's also hot as fuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, good way to word it. The main right, takeaway Chris. is games journalists stop being scared of boobs. Patrick Klepek, you can uncover your eyes. Anyway, hey, listen, that's the, one of the, the funniest new, images of all time. The yeah. new. Uh, remake of Destroy All Humans 2 has a Russian, has the Russian spy girl with big boobs and boob physics to go with it. Good. So, I'm, if, I'm you, if you see right the video, <laughs> enjoy yourself. No, uh, the new PS5 system update that was long in beta has finally hit for all players and brings with it folders, or as they're now called, game lists, uh, 1440p support, and new social media features to make gaming with friends easier. There will also be some upcoming uh, additions to the app, like the ability to launch a remote play session from the app instead of having to do it separately from the remote play app, um, as well as the ability to request uh, share uh, screen share with your friend from the app or from your system. Join stuff more easily, like parties and whatnot. So, if you hadn't had it, hope you're enjoying it. Uh, there's also some stuff with 3D audio where you can compare 3D audio to non 3D audio, kind of like immediately, so you can see the difference that it's giving you. Um, which I think is good. But on that matter, I actually think we're further. I may have already said this on the show, but quick reiteration: I think we're far enough into this generation that I'm. I can say I'm disappointed with how slow they have been with adding uh, 3D audio ear. You know, the, the different ear uh, shapings and the ability to make one specific to your ear that Mark Cerny was talking about. I hate to say it, but as much as I like Mark Cerny and I think he does a good job of explaining his vision, the downside is, is undoubtedly there's always that one thing that he promises that just does not happen. It just doesn't. And that's unfortunate. True. (laughs) Because 3d audio, it's still good. I will say that. And I noticed differences in the last of us actually with it, but across the board, I think it's not hit what Mark Cerny, it hasn't hit the dream that he sold yet. And whether or not the potential is there remains to be seen. Um, Next up in the news, Remnant from the Ashes 2 and Remnant 2 recently were trademarked, meaning that the developer Gunfire Games is looking to jump back into the world of their shooter take on the Souls-like formula, but may not be quite sure what to call it. Um, I really enjoyed Remnant from the Ashes. I mean, it is a double-A game. You take it for what it is, but it's well-designed, really fun, fun multiplayer. I actually played it with Swanland, one of our uh, listeners. I still hit him up, talk to him some. Really nice. fun game. Chris, I don't know if you played it at all. I did. Um, or if you'd be interested in the sequel, but it's fun. I like that game. Yeah, I beat it like three <laughs> times on PC. It's a good game. It's one of those, it's one of the perfect examples of when somebody does a Souls-like right. And usually people look for people who do the Souls-like right within that still medieval fantasy setup. But this is one of the cool times where gunplay actually worked. Uh, there was a game that came out around the same time that was called like Immortal Unchained. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I think was also a shooter-based Souls-like, but it didn't really make any waves. Didn't review too highly, didn't really sell very well. So it's nice to see that one of them uh, lived the dream. It did it. 
Uh, next piece of news, though, despite the first entry currently still not existing on the platform, Square Enix announced that Octopath Traveler 2, which was announced during Nintendo's Direct earlier today, will be coming to PS4 and PS5 alongside the Switch uh, on February 24th, 2023. So maybe in the in-between we'll get Octopath Traveler 1 <laughs> on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5. Uh, it's on Xbox, so... This is a really surprising turn of events. <laughs> because yeah. Octopath Traveler 2 is not coming to Xbox. To Xbox. But it is coming. Me, this is me, where I think you see exclusivity dollars in play. I was about to say, yeah. Well, no, it's not what I was about to say, but I agree. I was thinking like... Yeah, what were you going to say? I feel like this kind of tells you that Octopath Traveler ain't did shit on Game Pass and nobody... It's possible, actually. <laughs> you, you know, that seems what like, makes sense. Like, Phil went out and bought it for Game Pass and nobody played it. And he's like, well, don't need that again. Take it back, please. That's what maybe. I think. Yeah, maybe. And maybe <clears throat> Square only, and maybe Square got to see interaction with it and thought, nah, there's not enough interaction to warrant mm, a sequel worth going to Xbox Day One. Um, or maybe yeah, Sony bought Square Enix. <laughs> I was just about to say, it actually may be further uh, proof of more interest from Sony and Square, but we'll never fully know that uh, until it's until next week. Square is either bought or not. Yeah. Um, Enjoy you know, next though, week's show, everyone. The talk of uh, the talk of exclusive dollars going into work leads us really nicely into our segue for in the midst of uh, what we're calling hashtag Call of Duty Gate. <laughs> uh, Modern Warfare 2's PlayStation exclusive beta launches this week for pre-orders on September 16th. Chris made sure that this was in the news just because <laughs> of the irony of the entire situation yep. about how Call of Duty is going to be exclusive, but never mind. But maybe, but also, here's exclusive PlayStation stuff. It's it's a funny situation to be in. Not to mention, Activision doesn't make good games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not not to forget that. Yeah, right. that's as we all know, Activision's never made a good game. Not once. Blizzard. What's a yeah, Blizzard? Blizzard's not renowned. You know, Blizzard is a thing that happens in New England. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna borrow a word from my 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 buddy Blaze's wife, and I'm gonna call you a fucking goober a because goober? that's what she says. I like you're that. a fucking goober. <laughs> I had to hit her with it earlier today too because she's telling me dumb jokes. You would you like to hear one of them? Yeah, tell me. I'm gonna give you. You ready for it? All right, here we are. See which one do I want to give you? Um, what do you see. what do you call a band of uh, Mexicans? Juan Direction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll give you. A, I'll give you the one that uh, I, I ended up messing with her about. She said, "I'm not saying I'm attractive, but every time I go to the bathroom and take my clothes off, I turn the shower on." <laughs> I like that. That's pretty good. That's solid. The, the other one was the female janitor at my building asked if I would chill and smoke with her. I said no. I can't deal with high maintenance women. 
it's so bad. Like it's, and the, the, the one that she left me with, where do you find a one-legged dog? Where? Where you left it. <laughs> Damn. I'll be here all, I'll be here all week. Um, <laughs> I just have to be like, Jess, keep sending me more jokes, please. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess, I mean, do you have any real remarks on the entire situation around uh, Call of Duty Gate, as we're calling it? Yeah, I'm going to pre-order the game tomorrow so I can play the beta. <laughs> All right. Uh, how, how, I'm assuming you saw... This is what I'll say. I've seen people talking about Jim Ryan because of the oh, fact boy. that he chose to say something in regards to this. Now, me, I'm not a huge fan, but also not a huge detractor of Jim Ryan. I think he said some dumb stuff, but I also think he's clearly just a businessman that's trying to do the best thing from a business perspective. He's trying to make his company money. Which Why I can would you understand. ever want to play Grand Turismo job. 3? Ugh, terrible. <laughs> Actually, Grand Turismo 3 A-Spec is a bomb-ass game. Um, but it looks ugly. Being, yeah, I mean, by today's standards, I guess. Um, but I saw people saying that like him talking about the exclusivity thing not being good enough is somewhat hypocritical. And I'm not even here to say that that's not true. More that I think it's interesting that he's getting hit from a lot of people saying, like, why is he bringing this up and doing all these things? And I think that the one thing I'll give him credit for is that he said, I didn't intend, he, he said there was no intentions for this to be publicly talked about, but since Microsoft is sharing conversations between us two, then we'll share our thoughts on how we feel about the situation at large. Mm-hmm. And I don't really think that he was in the wrong for doing so. No, I would agree. Uh, whether or not you agree with his choice of words, whether or not you agree with his uh, view on the situation as a whole, whether or not you view PlayStation's use of buying exclusives as they have been known to do for their entire run as a company in gaming. I just, I think it's a really weird thing. And I think that all sides of this Call of Duty conversation, Call of Duty Gate's been a mess because everyone has had good points and everyone has had outrageously stupid points and that's kind of where we are the thing is like xbox can always use the fact that playstation gets third-party exclusives that's fine but i don't so the problem is that visually from the outside looking in xbox or playstation sounds ridiculous however there's never been a playstation exclusive on the scale of what they've Xbox has taken away from PlayStation. Or like, would be taking away from PlayStation in the, in you could, the yeah. sense of Call of Duty. Yeah. You know, you could be like, oh, or, well, you know, yeah. We, do you include sure. Starfield in that out of curiosity? Like, do, are you viewing that? Are you saying that stuff they've already taken? Okay, I, I just want to well, be Well, actually, I will be, to be honest, no, I wouldn't include Starfield because they haven't, that was never on PlayStation. But... Fair, fair. Fallout's but not Elder Scrolls to, Six. Elder Scrolls Six isn't coming to PlayStation. Fallout Five isn't coming to PlayStation. Wolfenstein Three isn't coming to PlayStation. Doom so you're Three isn't those, coming to PlayStation. So you're saying, well, yeah, but biggest ones. Let's because I think biggest ones, biggest examples are for sure going to be Elder Scrolls Six, Fallout Five. Yeah. Of the IPs they've bought, those are the best-selling ones, and those are very big PlayStation are very big exclusives that have always done well on PlayStation. Right. So. But even what's funny there is the jump between that and Call of Duty is still fucking massive. I mean, exactly. And that's the thing. 
like you can't you can't make the same argument about Final Fantasy because Final Fantasy are not interconnected games. So mm-hmm. Final Fantasy 16 might as well be a new IP in a lot of ways, other than the tent poles of the series. And I know that's kind of a favorable argument for PlayStation, but it's objectively true, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just think I don't first of all, I don't think Call of Duty is ever going to be exclusive to Xbox. I just think that's so yeah. stupid money-wise that they wouldn't do it. I, I can't imagine Xbox being willing to eat all that money. Well, this this leads to something that I think is interesting. Call of Duty may have the ability to rebound from losing an entire very large platform in which it excels on. Because uh, like, think about it. Even when Xbox was the home of Call of Duty, Call of Duty still did incredibly well on PlayStation 3. Mm-hmm. Even though all the exclusive things and time, exclusivity and marketing was under Xbox. When the tide switched, call of duty, of course does incredibly well on PlayStation, but it still also does conversely very well, definitely to the number of units sold for call uh, for Xbox. So I think the, the, where I'm going with this is that Call of Duty is already so massive that taking away part of its player base might actually force that player base because they're already indoctrinated. It's not the word, but it's the one I'm going to choose to use. They're already indoctrinated into the Call of Duty ideas and the and the ecosystems and all the different things that come with Warzone and how it works with that. That essentially there's a chance that it can survive financially that way and still get the majority of its players back, but just have them go to the platforms that it is available on. There's a chance. But when people talk about how Sony's best bet is to get together and make their own shooter, I don't think that's a wrong choice. I do think that that's a good thing. But the part of what I think Call of Duty highlights is that the only way PlayStation could ever even get away with trying to come up with something that might one day be able to even partially compete with Call of Duty and Apex and all the other big big leagues in that particular realm would be if it's multi-platform. And I think PlayStation knows that. And I think it's why Bungie is being purchased and allowed to operate as an independent studio under their thing because they know that the best way to make the most money and to make the biggest game that people want to be part of the conversation is to be on every platform that you can viably run on. I, if, if Call of Duty could viably run on Switch, I guarantee you Activision would have already had it on there. If they could find a way to make Warzone work on Switch in a way that would not hit the quality so hard that people wouldn't be willing to do it, they would. There's a reason Fortnite's on Switch. Fortnite's a less demanding game, but Switch is a huge market for it. So all I'm saying is this world of which they're talking about, I don't think that there is a way to make an exclusive competitor to Call of Duty that could ever get that big. I just don't. I, I don't think it could either, but I don't think that means Sony shouldn't try. And I, I don't, agree with that. And I don't I think it that. matters if it gets as big as Call of Duty. I think it matters if it eats Call if it eats some of the audience that Call of Duty on PlayStation took. Right. Does that yeah, make sense? But Call of Duty, yeah, but PlayStation is the biggest platform for Call of Duty right, right now. Which again is why it'll never be exclusive to Xbox. But like arguably doing so 
and cutting it down to what we're what we're learning is like roughly 46 million Xbox Ones and then however many million Xbox Series Xs and Ss they've sold. And of course, PC comes into play there and Game Pass is part of that ideology. But there's so much more money to be made by continuing to include the probably 50 plus million players that are on PlayStation. Yeah. And I think I said it to Blake, but I think I think I've said it on this show too. Xbox is clearly making moves not to take things away from Sony, but to make Sony put Game Pass on their console. I think that's just Yeah, we've said that on the show. I think that's and just it is. Very I, clear. I've seen people say it in our Discord. Yeah. Eventually it would or at least from outside looking in, it seems like the move is to strong arm Sony into relenting. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, while we're running through that, do you think that there's a chance that Sony would actually relent to do that? Or do you think that the profitability, the hit to their own profitability for Game Pass being on their machine would not be worth it? Like, you know, from I, what we do know, do you think that there's a, do you have a indication one way or the other? I think they would, I think at a certain point they'll have to do it, whether they want to or not. Like, once you lose a, a, enough stuff, you would. You would have to. That's why I think they have to. That's why I think we're looking at an M&A war going on in the industry right now. Because Sony's like, oh, you want to take this stuff? We're going to have to find stuff that we can take. And whether that's taking Sega and taking Square Enix and becoming the home of the JRPG, or if it's yeah. you know, doing stuff like that, taking Capcom and being like, you guys have no fighting games, you guys have no JRPGs, like you guys, you guys can have Call of Duty. We have everything else. But at a certain, can can Sony afford that? Because you feel like at a certain point, like especially if this Activision deal goes through, which is actually an interesting question, is um, you know, especially if the Activision deal goes through, is Microsoft going to be like, okay, we can do whatever the hell we want now? Like we're they clearly don't care. And then they're just like, yeah, we're you. Oh, Sony's bidding on Square Enix. We're gonna up that by a hundred million. Oh, they they matched. Here's another hundred million. They matched again. Dang, five hundred million dollars. We just bought you for three billion. Move on. You know what I mean? Well, I've seen. I, I get the ideology behind it from the the you know if that were how things go, but I think there's been such there's been so much pushback against the Activision thing, or at least they faced hurdles. They faced so many, and it's gotten fairly public. That I think part of what's happening here is that they're trying to use this Microsoft Activision thing as a way to signal to companies that there is a limit. Not yeah. Microsoft. I think that that's more of the regulation boards are going so hard on this because it's something that's big enough and is getting enough attention from the media that they can use it to set a precedent and an example of what is going to be allowed moving forward. So even if the Activision deal goes through, which I'm not saying it won't, I'm not saying it will, but if it goes through, I honestly think that it will be done so with a firm understanding that Microsoft, and like we said last week, Microsoft will not be able to make big sweeping moves like this. And I would almost argue that if Microsoft tried coming in and buying a publisher, basically one studio at a time, I think that the regulation board would come in and say, we see what you're doing. We recognize the pattern and we're going to block this to stop you from essentially doing that. And I don't say that as somebody who's trying to be a PlayStation fanboy or an Xbox detractor. I think that that is... 
it's weird. I'm I'm for an open market, but I think when you get a player in a market that has the kind of capital and money that some of these things do, there needs to be for the health of the industry in the short term and in the long term, I think that regulation actually might be the best way to go. And it's so against the way I would usually think, but I think regulation might be the best thing. And I even if we were looking at exact opposite, right? I love PlayStation. Let's say PlayStation was uh, instead owned by Microsoft and they had what people were going to refer to, whether it's true or not, as endless pockets. I don't think that this is the right move. I think it's everybody moving too quickly and trying to become conglomerates far too hard and create a monopolistic situation. And while the industry as a whole will eventually balance itself out because some of these studios that are getting acquired will eventually close. They'll be shuttered. They'll be merged into other studios. New developers will come in to play who don't want to work at any of these places. So they'll make their own new studio, which will do its own thing. And eventually somebody will try and buy them. <laughs> you know, the, the cycle of life will continue but I think for at least the immediate future that we can kind of reasonably see, there needs to be something that either stops these acquisitions from going through or at least balances the scales to some degree. So if the balance of the scale is that Microsoft gets to buy Activision and then the, the opposing side of that is Sony says, well, we want to buy Square Enix and Sega, and that's a balance. If that truly is a balance, then that's okay. But I don't think that we can get to a point, or at least I don't think it's good for the industry to get to a point where Microsoft is just able to throw money at whoever, whenever, and basically unopposed short of maybe Tencent. Yeah. I I don't know, man. I think you said it pretty well. I'm I'm in favor of this stuff strictly for the talking points, but I think as an overall direction of the industry, I don't know that it's great. But I've made the argument that like I would rather P- Sony buy studios than just strip them and make new ones. So it's all up in the air for me. I just think yeah. it's very clear that Microsoft buying Bethesda and Activision can't be good. Just can't. Yeah. Well, at least in terms of whether it sets a precedent for Microsoft, I think it does set a precedent if this goes through. The curiosity will be what precedent that it sets. <laughs> so right. we'll have to see. Uh, all right, rounding things off on news, we're going to do a kind of recap of the <laughs> state of play. So as you may have noticed, PlayStation announced a surprise state of play on short notice and brought with it an update on 10 games uh, for PS4, PS5, and PSVR 2. Uh, starting things off, Tekken 8 was officially announced by Bandai Namco with a flashy in-engine trailer asking fans to stay tuned the trailer only mentions PS5, uh, which, while was not a sign of exclusivity, exclusivity for PlayStation as a whole, it led to believe that this was likely not going to be a cross-gen title. That has been confirmed. They came in afterwards and confirmed that this will be a PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, and PC title. Um, so do not expect to be playing your Tekken 8 on PS4, which brings us to a good thing. I think that's the right move. We've said it once on here, and I think that Chris and I both mostly agree. The time for cross-gen is over. Yes. Been over since November 2018 or 2020. <laughs> you know, I'm willing to give like six months to a year for cross-gen just because of the nature of why not go ahead and have 
games that can that you've already been making for one. So you just go ahead and finish it there, but then still have a PS5 version. Oh, sure. Um, I understand that. But I think at some point there needs to be a spot where you say, we are cutting the cord and we're making this game without any kind of holdbacks. Um, which, you know, may reek of uh, privilege of owning a PS5, but as we've said, gaming is a privilege. <laughs> yeah. So we're all we're all privileged in this in this mm-hmm. gaming world. Um, so I'll take that with what it is. Uh, PSVR two got some games shown with Star Wars: Tales from the Galaxy Edge getting a enhanced release as for uh, for the platform, and Demio Demio bringing cooperative dice rolling and dungeon crawling set within a tabletop like world to a PSVR two near you whenever those may be coming. Uh, they did not say if these are launch window launch titles or anything like that. So <clears throat> Chris and I were kind of talking right before recording that I think that they're being coy about all of that because there's just not a date in general mm-hmm. for uh, PSVR 2. So they're just kind of like, why do we, we don't have to give dates to these things. Sometimes it's good. It pays off to be tight-lipped. So. Yeah, I, I think they should just hold that. Be yeah, why not? Next thing up. Uh, is sure to ruffle Chris's feathers. Sega is bringing a full remake of a once Japanese exclusive entry in the Yakuza series, being the first game from the studio to, oh, sorry, <laughs> Like a Dragon Ishin sees the 2014 spinoff remade entirely inside of Unreal Engine 4, being the first game from the studio to use that engine and will feature familiar faces as unfamiliar characters set in an 1860s fictionalized version of Kyoto. Um, Chris, you're the resident Yakuza fan. Very excited. Are you a side bike or not? Oh, I'm, I'm riding on my bike with no handlebars over to this one. Very, the, uh, Yakuza has gotten some wild spinoffs. Cause if I remember right, and they're like a Yakuza zombie game as correct. Well. Yakuza dead souls. I think. Yeah. It's awful, uh, though. But. I've I've mentioned it on here as well. Uh, there was a spinoff for Ninja Gaiden, maybe Gaiba. Yeah, Gaiba for PS3. Yaiba. That that I also wasn't wasn't zombies. it also? Yep, zombies. Yeah, it's it's funny because I actually just bought Ninja Gaiden Yaiba. Wow, that's crazy. It, yeah. it goes so. Uh, Red Dead uh, Undead Nightmare PS3 was just the era for zombie spinoffs yeah I wonder if something really cool started in that era that ended up being uh, way too long winded and really bad that had to oh yeah you mean like Call of Duty Zombies (laughs) no I was thinking of The Walking Dead maybe though if I'm being honest if I'm thinking from the gaming industry I am pretty sure that the smash success of of Call of Duty Zombies is what let everybody be like, wait, you're telling me I could just make my game again? <laughs> Basically the same, but with but zombies? With zombies. <laughs> it, and see, people will buy it? And nobody took advantage of doing that, but literally making the same game, except doing the VO <laughs> and reskinning all the characters to be zombies. Like, imagine if they made Red Dead 2, Undead Nightmare, and it was all of Red Dead 2, but everyone except Arthur is a zombie. It changes Ooh. absolutely nothing, but they're all zombies. It, 
but it changes everything. Like, you know, with his weird voice crack, and he does the zombie thing. <laughs> that would be Arthur. I'm su- I would be super into that. Oh man, you know my my meme did not get enough love. Uh, but whenever I was playing Red Dead Redemption Two, I still have my meme. Okay, um, what's your meme? My meme was you you know in Fairly Odd Parents, uh, whenever uh, um, his his dad is like Dinkelberg. Yeah, I edited a cowboy hat and Arthur's mustache onto the dad and put O'Driscoll because everything <laughs> in that game is just him being like it was them damn O'Driscolls. Everything. Yeah, it's all the O'Driscolls. Yeah. O'Driscolls. So, kind of makes me think of the uh, the Billy Madison, o, the O'Doyle. <laughs> O'Doyle rules! <laughs> <laughs> Calm freaking O'Driscoll. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's see. Next up, Hogwarts Legacy is unsurprisingly getting exclusive PlayStation content. Would you look at that? Exclusive what? dollars at work. In the way of the wizarding world, oh, sorry, in the way of the haunting Hogsmeade shop. Apparently, I can't read in sequence today, uh, which was teased with a trailer. Separately, any fans of the wizarding world might be disappointed to learn that it has been confirmed that while broom riding as a form of traversal and broom races will be in the game, Quidditch will not be a feature of Hogwarts Legacy. Shed one. Pour one out for your homies. Shed a tear. Uh, I would like to take this moment uh, to implement a moment of silence. (laughs) Chris, we got to stop bullshitting before the shows. Okay? Mm -hmm. You're putting ideas in my head. (laughs) This is not the moment. This is a really bad moment of silence. You keep talking. Because I need to not go through with it. (laughs) That's exactly why. I need to abandon it as soon as it began. I'd like to take a moment of silence through the idea that Brett is abandoning. Thank you. How long is a moment of silence? I guess this it would like depend. A, I guess it would jokes depend aside, on what. I have wondered my entire life. I remember when I was a kid and 9-11 happened mm-hmm. and, and then being like, we're going to take a moment of silence. And I remember being like, is that a set amount of time? Minutes. And no, I, no one has ever, I've never asked and no one's ever told me. I'm taking this moment to ask everyone on this show, if you know if a moment of silence is an actual specified length of time, or if it's just like a gut feeling of like, I've been quiet long enough, so I need to know. My answer would be, it depends on the severity of why you're taking a moment of silence. Because I feel like, an actor dying in 9-11, two different lengths of silences. True. Yeah. True. That's my take. Conversely, hmm. an actor dying is unlikely to create a new spur of types of songs in the country music <laughs> <laughs> industry. Have you forgotten... <laughs> When the towers fell. God, that song was everywhere. It really was, though. Oh, man. All right, let's see. The next thing up on our list here, after we uh, lament the loss of Quidditch. Do you remember the PS2 Quidditch game? No. Am I making this up? Yeah, probably. It's probably Chamber of Secrets. 
No, it was called Harry Potter Quidditch World Cup. Dang. I didn't know. And it was that made existed. by EA Sports. Fuck yeah, it was. <clears throat> I'm just throwing this out there because I like I remember playing this game and I thought it was a dedicated game. So yes. How how we could miss out on such a feature. They're saving it for the sequel, baby. <laughs> they just know. Uh, next thing shown was this little vague trailer for a game called Pacific Drive, uh, which looks like a, it's set in a post-apocalyptic take on the Pacific Northwest, which <clears throat> days gone, anyone, uh, in which the player will be behind the wheel, apparently, and maybe more as strange events take place in the uh, world around him or you or them. That's the word I'll choose. I them. hope this is a driver reboot. Here's my thing about CG trailers. Mm. I don't know what the fuck it is. Something about watching that, it was the only time during the entire state of play. I thought the state of play was pretty good. It really does depend on the type of game you like, but this was so vague and so without direction that I looked at it and I thought, what do I do in this game? Am I Am I literally just driving? Was this gameplay? Is this CG? Is this in-engine? What is this? And nothing about that trailer intrigued me in a way that was positive. Right. That's no. the best I can say. The most Everything intriguing about thing the trailer was like, oh, it's a it's led to questions. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. I like how when you watched it, because Chris had a crazy day at work and then we ended up I having did. to kind of have him catch up before we started recording, but he goes, that looks like a game. <laughs> Which <laughs> arguably... Yep. I don't even know that it looks like a game. You could tell yeah. me it was an animated short, and I would but probably believe you. It has graphics. It does have graphics and polygons. Button prompts, maybe. Actually, we don't see that in the trailer, so maybe not. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Um, but yeah, that was a bad example of announcing a game, in my opinion. But that's okay, because we have to follow that up with PlayStation Stars the reward system that they are coming out with, getting a little tease towards its digital collectibles that players can earn, with examples shown including figures of beloved Sony hardware like the PS3 and the very niche and probably not very well-remembered VMU competitor. If you don't know what the VMU is, it was a virtual memory unit for the Dreamcast. Uh, PlayStation did one called Pocket Station for the PlayStation 1. <laughs> you should look it up if you've never seen it. It's really interesting. Uh, you may have noticed it uh, in the in the, of course, trailer for this. Um, to also having things like fun figures for beloved series, such as Ape Escape or mascots, such as Toro. Uh, and then they had a little semi, like half-second glimpse of Polygon Man uh, that you could get. This is so close, Chris, to my yeah. PlayStation Home idea of trophies giving you things like, as a secondary means for getting platinum, you tie in-game collectibles to getting platinums that you can display within your virtual home so that when people walk into, instead of people having to check your trophy list, which they can still do, they can virtually tour your trophy case, right? Yeah, that would be cool. And you walk through and you basically have, if you have a platinum, you have a showcase for it. So people can walk through and they can kind of look through and see different collectibles you have and make, be like, Holy shit, dude. Is that like, is that a MotorStorm car? Did you get the MotorStorm Platinum? That's sick. 
It's like, oh, dude, is that a Hellgas armor? Is that Colonel Raddick? Is that Colonel <laughs> Raddick's armor on a stand? Dude, that's sick. You, pl- you get the Killzone 2 plat? That's a hard plat to get. You know what I mean? Right. That's just a cool idea. Here's me. what I want, but I also don't want it because it, I know that I would lose so much money to this. What they should do <laughs> oh, no. is PlayStation Home <laughs> and allow you to display your platinum trophies like you could walk mm-hmm. through and you're like okay this is my platinum trophy room i have it all set up you can move them around order how you want uh-huh. but i think the problem with this is that what they'll do is sell you spaces to put your trophies up no you had me this is where i really think that what they'll do They'll sell skins for the platinum trophies so that what you can do is you can have the platinum trophy as a physical platinum trophy that you can pick up if you're in VR. Yeah. Like you can pick it up and look and it says what game on it, but mm-hmm. that's it. Or if you get the platinum for a game, they send you an invite uh-huh. to spend a dollar on a skin for the trophy to make it look like <gasps> Colonel Raddick's helmet. It looks like a plat, you know, it looks like a bust of Colonel Raddick. The reason I don't think they'll do that is because (laughs) that would require them to go back and be like, oh, you have the saboteur plat. You know what I mean? I do mean from a starting point, like games from this date will support this feature. And maybe a handful of PlayStation exclusives that were beloved as just a means of show for Longtime PlayStation fans will retroactively add stuff in for people who have like the Uncharted Platinums, the Killzone Platinums, the Resistance Platinums. You know? Yeah, oh, I'm with you. Because you got to think they're all, they only have to go back two generations if they started that this generation and do it for a handful of games. Bloodborne would be one that people would be clamoring for, oh, of yeah. course. Give you a little hat. Yeah. I I still I agree. I think your idea is great. I think my idea is more likely because there's a lot of money to be made. If if you told me I had to spend five dollars for every five spaces to display my trophies in my PlayStation Home, if you think I'm not spending the hundred and five dollars I would need for all of them, you're just wrong. <laughs> if you told me that I had to pay five dollars to showcase something that should just be a good way to create fun and community around your ecosystem i would tell you to go fuck yourself it's there's no way i would never spend a single five dollar i would never spend spend five dollars a single time depends how big that shit got i mean maybe not for you but like it would depend you like, know what if i that- might do let me back i might when i got the kills on mercenary platinum which is very rare yeah. and it, it took a lot to go through i might be like i'm gonna buy one for the mod nation racers road trip because it's such a rare platinum. Yeah, that's a crazy <laughs> rare platinum. And and I might spend a dollar. That's about it. You could get me to spend a dollar for a space maybe four times in a generation for a platinum that just was yeah. so dude, I would probably have put the Mortal Shell platinum up because that's a that's <laughs> such a ridiculous platinum to get. Yeah, I mean Sekiro is not a rare platinum, and that's one of my most proud ones. Yeah. Yeah. I think the difference is like, yeah, you'll be able to cycle out and like Look, go in your trophy chest and pull one out and put it back on the shelf. Yeah, but I'm telling you, people who want that room of all hundred and whatever they have, they're you're gonna pay for that. I don't know. Oh, I but, just got a crazy cool idea. Take money out of the picture. I don't know why, but I just had an idea that whenever your friend, if they're in PlayStation Home and they decide to check out your trophy list, mm-hmm. that what happens is like, you know, in the scene in the Matrix when they're in that white room and then the racks of guns come up? It's just that racks of cool. trophies. Dude. That would actually be very sick. 
Like your not, friend goes to pull up your trophy list and it just suddenly their background turns white and you just see racks go fly in and they can just pick up every trophy. There's no way because they would have to model every trophy and put it in game. Or yeah, they'd at least have to model a trophy and then find a way to just transplant text from the trophy name onto like a little plaque or something. But that would be so cool. Yeah, just from I, like a like I said, d- from, a, from like a straight VR standpoint, like it'd be cool to see on screen, but it would be sick in PSVR too. That would be so cool. They got to make sure it's like the Wii, the Wii Miiverse thing, and you are always in home once you turn on the PS5. That then that would be like, all right, I'm spending the money because this is my UI, and I'm showing it off to every person who looks at my profile. Otherwise, the, the like, reason not, not the reason I don't think they'd ever do it. And that's actually the reason why they may never do PlayStation Home again is because that would be your best way to get enough engagement to make it worth it. But at the same time, there are going to be people who just don't want to do that at all. Oh, for sure. But I think at that point, you can just press start. You know, like they they could make it with different settings. So like, yeah, maybe you don't want to launch a PlayStation Home and this immersive experience isn't for you. You can just press start and, and skip it and then it goes straight to the games. But I think that would be a cool way to be like, yeah, okay, this is your avatar. You run over to the launch game area and you're into the game. You know, I still like the idea, as as dumb as it may be, of when I was watching Ra- uh, Wreck-It Ralph and he goes through the cord of his game and he's like, yep. they're traveling between the games and everything. Agreed. It made me think of that idea of being like, you're in home and you and your friends have to... Again, it just creates a, a unique sense of of camaraderie around your game. I think if me and you wanted to play Apex together, right? Like, I finally give into your uh, a night of Apex, right? And me, you, and finally. all the friends who are going to play with us, right? Oh, yeah. look, Chris, I may make you wait, but the waiting just makes it so much better when you finally get it. <laughs> Leave me blue balls, dog. <laughs> Do you want me to ASMR it? <laughs> <laughs> But no, I like the idea of me having to like meet you or choosing to meet you in the virtual world and me and you walking into the Apex Hub together. I just it think that's such a cool idea. We could hold hands and skip and jump in. Ten out of ten. <laughs> We're going I mean, on it's, a trip. It's definitely, it's definitely an idea that excels in VR. That's part of it. I would still, I still think it would be cool to do it just on the home screen on a flat panel, like, you know, a normal TV. But I think that that would lose its luster a lot quicker than the idea of walking around, meeting up with your friend in this VR space where you can see them. You know, it's, it's essentially VR chats, but as the means of navigating your console. I think there's a uniqueness to that. Like when your friends list uh, sets up a thing where if you and your friend are on at the same time, you just see them there. Like they're they're there, and if they're online, you just see them and they're wandering around, and you own you don't see people that you don't know unless you choose to turn on this feature where you always see it. You can go to friends only and only see friends. That way, it's more controlled. Or you can go the MMO route and turn it to where you can see everyone, um, per instance or whatever. But no more need to spend too much time on that. I just I talk about that all the time because I still think PlayStation Home was ahead of its time. And it's funny that they're probably going to wait so long to ever do anything with it that they're just going to miss timing on it altogether and it will never be worth doing again when there's an opportunity for it. So, uh, Next thing up with the game, though, Eastern developed games uh, are the news. Eastern developed games get some love as well with the reveal of Sin Duality, 
a third-person shooter game featuring mechs uh, coming from Bandai Namco, aiming for next year. Project Eve, which you may remember from one of the previous State of Plays, reemerges after a hiatus under its new name, Stellar Blade, giving more looks at both gameplay and cinematics, and confirmed as a console exclusive for PS5, which if I remember, originally they said it would still be coming to other consoles. So something's changed in there. I was Um, um, actually reading about that on Twitter, and I guess... The developer wasn't in the wasn't going to be able to finish the game. They couldn't afford to, so Sony is co-developing it and paying for the game. So nice. I would imagine if this game does well, that that studio will be a part of the first first party family at some point. I don't know. I mean, because that's exactly what Sony did with From Software and Demon Souls, and that did not happen. Though they got they got to learn their lesson, and those that's jiggle what I was about to say. 10 out of they 10 learned, stuff. Let's go. They learned their lesson. No, um, Stellar Blade looks awesome. I mm-hmm. actually kind of think the name Project Eve is cooler, if I'm way just better. being honest. Yep. I think it's way... And I think the logo was cooler. Um, Unless they didn't but, want like Parasite Eve confusion. That's I, the only reason I, I could I'm think. I'm not even... I have to believe that's it because I remember when they first showed it and they said Project Eve. I was like, does this have something to do with Parasite Eve? So, yeah, but Stellar Blade's kind of a lame name if I'm just being honest. It's... I would almost hope that they change the name again. But the game looks cool. The game looks really interesting. It looks good. And I kind of like that now that we have Project Eve, we're kind of seeing that it's like you hear her talking to Adam and then Eve, and you see these humans that apparently are asleep in some kind of uh, suspended you know, um, sleep. So I think that the idea for the uh, the scenario could be really cool, but it also runs the risk of being something we've seen before. So I'm going to be curious to see how they navigate that, but the game looks fun. So, um, Lastly, though, Team Ninja and Koei Tecmo partnered with PlayStation for another console exclusive in the way of Rise of the Ronin, an open-world action game set during a time in Japanese history when modernization is taking root in the late 19th century, of course, a fictionalized version, and sees a struggle between the Shogun and those who seek to oppose them. Uh, And my little note I gave to myself here is that with AC uh, Code Red or whatever, and this coming, it's like people asked for Assassin's Creed Japan for so long, and then it took Assassin's Creed so long to do it that you've had Ghost of Tsushima come, and now you have this that's intending on coming. And I don't mean this in the bad way. This looks like an Assassin's Creed game. It's, some of it actually looks sick. I don't know if you saw the part of the trailer where he's like flying with what is essentially the equivalent of like a a revolutionary Japanese wingsuit where it's like bolted together. It looks super cool. Uh, And I think Team Ninja have got good combat. So I could see this actually being a great game. Um, But it's interesting. And also interesting, this tells me that Neo did really well for PlayStation. for, For PlayStation to want to continue doing new games with them. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I wonder if we'll cool. see this one go um, multi-plat eventually like Neo did. Though I don't think Neo 2 did, weirdly enough. No, I don't and think that, so. That might, that might strictly be because Neo was done under a different contract and then Neo 1 did well enough that when they were setting up the contract for the second game, they were like, we want to lock this in for good. Yeah. I wonder if Team Ninja could be a target for Sony. Curious. I would be curious to see if Koei Tecmo would leave would let them go. So I then that rouses the question would 
No, it's the summer. I'm pretty sure I might be I might be wrong. I'll look it up while no you No timeline to present. Okay, yeah. I'm definitely curious though, but I'm pretty sure they're owned. Please confirm. <laughs> we'll confirm that. The uh the that yeah, was the actually of Koei Tecmo. That's what I thought. Founded in nineteen ninety five uh, as a part of Tecmo. The problem that I feel like you would end up facing there is I don't think Sony would want all of Koei Tecmo, if I'm being honest. No, probably not. But I don't think maybe. I don't know what they're gonna get from getting Dynasty Warriors, even though Dynasty Warriors has a long that, history of having that shit sells, titles that on, shit on PlayStation. <laughs> that was one of the first Vita games, Dynasty Warriors next. Yeah. I did not like it. I get so tired of Dynasty Warrior games. I mean, the first time I played one as a kid, I was like, this is sick. And then I played for like 10 more hours. And then the next game came out. And I was like, this is the same game. <laughs> <laughs> but more power to you. Uh, rounding off the show, God of War received a new trailer giving hints about Tyr's involvement in the new story and what might befall Kratos and Atreus in their final adventure in the North Saga. I will not say much more than that because Chris, as he will say soon, has his reasons. Alongside the reveal of an interestingly, not a limited edition PS5 console, but rather a limited edition DualSense controller with a blue and white color scheme featuring a Ragnarok-inspired logo, center of the touchpad. Can't wait to buy that. First and foremost, (coughs) the controller looks great. It does look great. And I have a... To me, this is more proof, since since we're not getting a console, there's two reasons. It might be because they don't want to do a special edition console when they're still being perceived as having issues getting PS5 on store shelves. Possible. 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 Or Or. it could be that this is a a strong sign towards what I've said in which they will no longer do limited edition consoles and instead will do limited edition DualSense with matching or set versions of plates for your console. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because right now, the only thing that is kind of a point against is I think that if they were going to have one for God of War, a, pl- like a, a console plate set, that they would have announced it at the same time as this DualSense, unless they're choosing to drip feed it to keep hype for God of War up, like maybe a, a month from now, a month out from God of War's release, they're going to be like, guess what? <laughs> Limited edition console plates. It could work. I could see the marketing. But regardless, I think there's ultimately more money to be made from people wanting to buy limited edition controller and matching plates than people who would be willing to double dip, potentially triple dip, maybe even more into multiple limited edition consoles. So Sony stands to gain more money by having a higher volume of limited edition parts than consoles. Uh, and I, I think a it's ultimately a better right way to make money. <laughs> well, you know the, um, the plates are like seventy bucks, aren't they? Or fifty bucks? How much? Fifty are bucks. Because I've bucks. I've been looking to get the red ones to match my controller. Actually, dude, I want um, the GameCube purple. Can't wait to buy those. Go for it, man. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, any so first of all, I understand that you have your reasons for God of War. Feel free to share them. Uh, I'm already, I already pre-ordered the game. Why don't Why would I watch a trailer for it? <laughs> <laughs> Just spoiling it. However, I did see a little bit of it because I was watching reactions. And um, am I crazy or is Odin played by the guy from Jurassic Park to, uh, Lost World? Eddie. 
I, I haven't seen any. Wait, Jurassic World? The Lost World Jurassic Park, the second one. The guy who gets oh. ripped in half by T-Rexes. is That's 100% Odin. I don't know. Hold on. I swear I'm right. Because I was listening to I, I listened to that bit and I was like, what the hell? That's the same dude. I don't know. Also, is it is it called The Lost World? It is a hundred percent called The Lost World Jurassic Park. Why is it only showing me PS1 games? I don't know. I'm just gonna put Jurassic Park 2, not because I'm saying you're wrong, but because I'm assuming it would help pull up what I'm actually looking for. Richard Schiff. Um, and I just confirmed it. Yeah. Richard Schiff is, is playing. Yep. Nice. So the guy um, from the Lost World Jurassic Park. Interesting. Uh, no, I don't want to say too much because I know you're trying to not have anything spoiled. I would argue that there's clear misdirects in this yeah. that I think are important. But I also think that some well, of the misdirects hide something that's <clears throat> probably meant to be deeper. And what kind of misdirects? Are we talking like Joel where Jesse's supposed to be <laughs> kind of misdirects? Because that was a little, almost too much of a misdirect. It's kind of egregious. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Uh, I don't think it's that level. I think the misdirects are more that the little bits of story information that they're giving you and then putting them in context alongside something else are meant to create a feeling that I'm not sure if that's actually what they're wanting to do in game. I think they're just trying to give you that, get your mind thinking and going and be like, what could this end up being? Um, but all of that uh, said... The trailer was really good and definitely has me excited. And I think that the game's going to do well. Can't wait. Um, I don't think we need to talk too much more about that. I, I think the only thing we, we were talking earlier about how cross play can affect some things. And God of War 2018 is already an incredibly good looking game mm-hmm. on PS4. So I, of course, mean no big hit by this. But I will say nothing about the way God of War Ragnarok's been shown wows me graphically fidelity wise in the same way as the initial reveal for God of War did or even the reveals for things like uh, Forbidden West and Forbidden West was a cross-gen game that's fine so I ultimately don't care I want the game to be good that's my biggest concern but it is interesting seeing what might be developers choosing to not push the envelope graphically because they don't really need to because everything about that trailer still looks phenomenal it doesn't need to look that much better than god of war 2018 because god of war 2018 looks great already uh it's just an interesting thing to note and i'm wondering if that's just a a a factor of the trailers uh and that once the game is up and running that there will be a very noticeable difference and maybe it's just the style of game makes it harder to suss those things out but that aside, I think that brings us to our listener-suggested topic slash uh, community's take. And that is from at GamersGamutYT uh, over on Twitter. He sent us a message and he said, would love to get your opinions on this uh, one. Might even be a good topic for your show whenever Jim Ryan isn't dominating the news cycle. And what he's linked to is a video he posted to his, uh, to his own Twitter. Feel free to go check it out. Um, And he kind of expounds on his thoughts of God of War Ragnarok, the hype around it, and why he believes people could be setting themselves up for disappointment with the game. 
uh, and he asked, you know, what are our thoughts and do we agree? And I think it's a it's a pretty timely thing because we've been seeing people talk about games. We've we've done it too. We're we're <laughs> we're just as culpable as everyone else. Um, but we've talked about games being foolish for launching alongside God of War, which I don't yeah. think is an incorrect statement. I do think Skull and Bones would start, would stand a lot better of a chance not launching beside essentially a juggernaut. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone a who God doesn't know, I mean, yeah. God of War 2018 sold well over 10 million copies. Uh, I think it actually surpassed 20 million. Uh, that is a juggernaut. Definitely as a console exclusive. That is abnormal for console exclusives to hit and we really didn't see console exclusives hit that number on playstation for sure until the ps4 gen you'd see it every now and then with like halo and gears of war on um the original 360 and whatnot but point being um there's talk around the game because of how 2018 kind of i don't say that it came out of nowhere. But I think 2018 brought in so many new fans who were previously very anti-Kratos for a number of reasons that I don't really agree with, but different conversation. Point being is I think that game hit so many great and high notes that the expectations for what follows it and ultimately concludes it, definitely, I think the game gets even more pressure on its back because of the fact that a lot of people anticipated a trilogy and now we're being told that this second game is going to wrap up the Norse saga. It's a duology. Yeah, so I think what's happening here is that the game is kind of, by right of what it's earned from its first game, is being given incredibly massive hype. And then I think the industry is not helping with uh, people who are in the sphere of talking about games uh, sharing stories about people being scared about God of War's release date and releasing alongside it, and other people saying games are moving out of the way to try and clear as much as they can from God of War. Us and other people like us suggesting suggesting that maybe certain games are being delayed strictly because of God of War being around when they originally wanted to release. And some of those are probably true, and some of them are potentially not. Um, but I think it does create a big sense of hype around the game that runs the risk of creating a situation in where the game cannot reasonably meet the level of hype that preceded it. And I'm curious. I mostly agree with him. And I think that that's mostly where he's coming from as well, that you have to set your expectations right and not expect another God of War 2018 because that was a long hiatus from a series that was beloved, but it also brought in a lot of new people. So Chris... What are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think that's kind of something that not only God of War, but gaming as a whole kind of has to contend with? Because I remember this with Kingdom Hearts 3 as well. I mean, of course, right? Like, people loved God of War 2018, so they want God of War Ragnarok to be good. But I think it's kind of a... I don't know if misnomer is the right word. But I don't think that's, you know... Is anyone, if God of War Ragnarok is the same quality as 2018, are people going to complain? I would, I would hope not. And I would think not. Cause all you're going to see, the only thing that's going to come out of that is, is Xbox fanboys on Twitter being like, oh, DLC. That's it. Like people who love 20, God of War Ragnarok are going to love God of War Ragnarok regardless of if it's, 
of the, if the boat animations are the same in 2018 mm-hmm. and Ragnarok. Like, it doesn't matter. I think we're well, we're looking at the hyper specific and hyper focused stuff of of Twitter, and that's really stupid because everyone on Twitter is dumb, and Twitter is not real life. <laughs> and go ahead. I agree with everything you've said so far. Sure. The only thing I want to say is I don't think that I'm specifically looking at it only through the lens of actually Twitter people and people who are looking to at finding a way to take pot shots. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I really am thinking about the person who fell in love with 2018 for whatever reason and is building up hype for this game and then maybe building up more because of the fact that it's being turned into a duology and they're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then due to setting up their own expectations too high, they start to play it. And since the game doesn't meet that expectation, it potentially sours them. And the reason I say that is I've, I'm not, sour is a strong word. So let me back off from there. Kingdom Hearts 3 is is a fantastic game. I really enjoyed it. And it's a good comparison point for me because it was a long time in the making. Not so much like God of War. God of War is four years between the two games. That's completely reasonable. I mean, ideally, that's way longer than sequels used to take, but four years is pretty good in modern gaming times. Um, So point being is that sometimes you can play a game, and if you're not careful about managing your own expectations, you kind of walk away with this feeling of like, the game was good, but it wasn't good as good as I was hoping. And therefore, I view the game in a more negative light than I would have otherwise. So basically, whether it should or shouldn't, can the game hit the same heights as 2018, considering that it carries the ex- the weight of expectation that 2018 set for it? Does that make sense? I feel like the only difference would be expectations. Right, like nobody's expecting what God of War 2018 did because, like, let's be honest, you took it from a hack and slash, kind of a mindless hack and slash with a pretty good story, to The Last of Us of War, which is not a not a pejorative, like that's what they kind of took the game and made it and made it. They made it, you know, Dad Kratos and all this kind of stuff. Like that's not memes. That's what the game is. But it's also a much more mature story. It's a much the gameplay significantly improved. It's significantly deeper, and I think that was surprising. So I don't think you're not going to be surprised by Ragnarok. I don't think maybe you're surprised by the story, but you're going into Ragnarok knowing the gameplay. The only thing that is different about Ragnarok is that you have a second weapon for the vast majority of the game rather than the incredible interlude uh, the incredible intro of that in the in the first game. Like you're oh, not going to get that moment again, <laughs> but that that moment that moment is the reason I like that game. Yeah. Right? Dude. So like like when Athena's yeah, in the boat, like 10 out of 10 stuff. I really don't want to say too much cuz I don't as is I I don't like the idea of spoiling games but at the same time as like Ragnarok and what it's coming on. A lot of it is built on the hype and expectation as much as I, I've already lamented. So really I'm going to go ahead. I've lamented the fact that I felt like players themselves did not even try to respect the fact that that was in the game. Cause I remember like day two, 
Oh, there are people just showing showing screenshots of them with Kratos and, and the blades. And I remember thinking to myself, like, you are fucking robbing people who just want to also look at stuff on Twitter. And I understand that that's a, a it's it's the reality of going online. You can't control what other people are going to post. But for me and playing that game, I'm like, how you could play this game and not with like withhold yourself from posting anything that showed the blades is beyond me because the, the moment of getting the blades back as a longtime fan who understood the weight of what was going on there, fucking chills. Right. So good. Even as a new fan though, the way that that is done, they sell the weight, even mm-hmm. if you don't have the context in such a way that is so fucking powerful that I would never, because the thing about Kratos is like, even if you never played a God of War, you probably knew what the blaze of chaos were because Kratos was kind of just like a, he was a mascot. You don't have to have played uncharted to know who Nathan Drake is. Right. And the same is true of that. So seeing the blades posted on Twitter after we've seen a marketing campaign that specifically chose to never show the blades because it was a powerful moment. Just it, it, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And I remember being really mad at people for having zero restraint because that is, there's so many moments in that game, but that is the moment in that game that made that game go from like, this is really fucking good to holy shit. This is the, like, this is so nuanced. The performance, the writing, Oh, it's it's killer. But yeah, <laughs> Ragnarok is unlikely to have that because how can Ragnarok... I, I actually, because we're not doing spoilers for the entirety of everything necessarily, mm. where I was going to say is how can Ragnarok carry the weight of six previous, five, six previous games on its shoulders? Um because like the whole thing about that moment is it's carrying the weight of the every God of War that came before it in that moment. Yeah. And Ragnarok is going to have a really hard time doing that same thing by nature of what it is. Well, I don't think it has to. It, do, it shouldn't have to. No, it doesn't have to. But the one thing that I will say is that there is a very clear thing that is still not fully discussed in God of War 2018 that has the potential to carry weight, the emotional weight and the performance weight that that scene had. And it's specifically in relation to Kratos and his skin and what led to him becoming the ghost of Sparta. That is not talked about in 2018. Atreus does not know as far, you know, he has, he can tell that there's stuff that's gone on and he knows some things and it's, more or less hinted that he understands some of the uh, the things that led to the God of War 3 and the events that happened over there. He doesn't understand them all. But he does not understand Kratos' past and Kratos' past as a father. And you can potentially pull some really crazy stuff off with that. Yeah. So you might very well get your big emotional scene and this game may as well hit it. But I don't want to feed into the hype monster. But go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, for me, my hope is that the ending is a cliffhanger that doesn't get picked up for 10 years. Here's the thing. Because, like, like, imagine if this game ends 
Right. And this yeah. is ridiculous. This is just me snowballing because this is what I would want out of the next God of War. But this this game ends and it's Kratos sitting at a table with 12 people around him. <laughs> you know? Or Kratos ends the game by waking up on a, crucified on a cross. Right? Like something like insane like that that's like, oh, you're going there. That's what I want. So they'll never do it, but that's what I we, want. I had so at one point in time. This is actually interesting. At one point in time, God of War three, uh, David Jaffe had his own plan for what he wanted God of War three to be because mm-hmm. you know he he directed one, co-directed two with Corey, and then three went to Stigas Musen, um, and he had his version of what he had hoped three to be, and in his version of three, Kratos ended up going through Egypt. And uh, eventually, I can't remember the exact story. It's worth looking up, though, if you're a big God of War fan and you didn't know this. But something on the degree of that, the game would end with you seeing Kratos like walking while you see the star of Bethlehem and like the three wise men indicating that like he's going to <laughs> it's something to do with with Christianity and everything. Uh, it was very interesting and it's worth it's worth a read. But the the friend I was talking with the other day about uh, all of this in general, um, he was talking about how he doesn't want to let the series go, which I get. You know, you fall in love with something, you don't want to let it go. And he was talking about, like, what do they do? Like, does Kratos die in this game? It, if he doesn't, then what do they do? And you get to this point where... They've managed to once a single time make Kratos go to an entirely different area and have it work that he's working his way through and having the action needed for a God of War game within this. I don't think there's a third way for them to spend Kratos going to yet again a new area and fucking up a whole new set of gods. I just don't see it happening. I think you start hitting the points where it feels like it's lampooning itself. Yeah, so, but I just think it's an interesting way of, uh, I don't know, showing. Like, it's just a different, interesting way of exploring that that culture and those stories. Like, is he going to go to Ireland and do Celtic gods? That would be fun. Well, <laughs> here's play, the other thing, right? I'll play a Celtic one, and he's just got a big hammer well, if, instead of anything else. Well, what if Atreus, in, in many ways, picks up the, 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 the mantle? Not on purpose, but what if by way of showing you know the sins of the father kind of idea uh, to where it's like we see Atreus trying to escape what his father has become, but we see Atreus try and leave behind the Norse world to go forward somewhere new, but then he himself ends up, while he's trying to navigate his youth, uh, he's, he ends up getting locked into something in like Egypt or you know <laughs> wherever it be. You Jerusalem. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So point, point being that uh, that's a way for them to keep God of War as a franchise, but not have to deal with how do you keep moving Kratos forward, which is a hard question to answer. Um, But this is my last thoughts, and then we can just turn it over to whatever. But I know you didn't watch the trailer, but there's a single line in the trailer that I'm actually surprised that God of War has managed to get away with for so long. And that... uh, Atreus is talking about how he needs to... like he's 
essentially implies that Kratos needs protection. Mm-hmm. And because Kratos has been protecting him and he's like, well, what about you? And he's like, uh, I don't need protection or whatever. And it, it, the actual line that he says that I'm wanting to refer to is death can have me when it's earned me. I like that. That's bad. No wrong. Sick line. Right. But at the same time, it leads into my thing about the, the other problem this series will have is that even if you kill Kratos, you've already set it up in multiple other games that Kratos doesn't die. Kratos went to hell in the first game, climbed his way out. I know. I I have my theory. Oh, sorry. He went to he went to hell, then got out. In the second game, he gets stabbed, and the chest goes to hell, climbs his way out. Right. At the end of the third game, he stabs himself with a big sword, and then ends up apparently still wandering into a different thing. Kratos doesn't die, (laughs) so you you end up at this thing where, like, at this point, if you kill Kratos, it kind of belittles all the other times that he was able to go through. I feel like you'd have to like. See, Dragon I, I, Ball Goku it, where like in the Boo saga, Goku's like, nah, all I ever did was cause issues, so I'm just going to stay dead. Like, it's the only way you could try and make it work is have Kratos be like, my time on this on this plane is done, and the time <clears throat> of you is my, and my blood is is the future. And then he just chooses to, to stay dead because death can't actually have him. Okay. You know? I, have my, I have a theory on how I think the game might end, which means I have a theory on how they could do that. I don't know if we want to talk about that or not, but I mean, it's just a theory at this point. So unless so, it heavily, heavily uh, ends up uh, spoiling God of War 2018, then I don't really We can go ahead and talk about it. No. What I think is going to happen is that Kratos loses and Atreus kills him and his body is destroyed and Atreus is covered in his father's ashes. And then that's how the game ends. That's like they'll they'll Red Dead to it, and you'll be playing the ending as Atreus when you go kill Odin for killing your father. Yeah, and I think there's some really which because you run the risk of, to come back. You run the stuff. you also run the risk of veering into the Last of Us two territory. To be fair, but but that's I what, like that idea. That is right, what the, the cycle the cycle continues. Yeah. You know, Kratos, be, or uh, because, Kratos becomes. I think it's interesting death. that Kratos goes out of his way to try and keep his son from it, but inevitably his son has to go through some form of it himself to to grow and understand how to deal with the flaws of being a god. Well, you also got to think. I I guess we're getting into spoiler territory. Never mind. I'll tell you after the show. Yeah. Okay. Well, way to wrap the show up. The community's take will, of course, be: Do you have any worry about God of War Ragnarok meeting your own hype level? So, of course, this is limited to people who are into God of War and are excited for Ragnarok. But feel free to sound off, like we mentioned earlier. If you want to do so on Twitter, you can go over there. Find us on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can find us on Facebook at the group Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. At Excuse me, it has to be entered into there, and I will gladly let you in. Uh, and lastly, you can find us in the Discord, which is always linked in the description below on either the YouTube video if you're watching or if you're listening. It is, of course, in the description there. If you are listening and your podcast service that you listen on allows the ability uh, to review the podcast, please do so. Let people know what you think is worth uh, if we are worth their time. Let us know what you think about the show so we can learn and maybe view how to uh, continue to evolve the show as we move forward. Uh, And lastly, uh, Chris, I think it's time we give these people a step-by-step of how they 
can become a patron. What do you think? I think we can teach them. I think we can teach them, right? Might as well. What's, so Chris, what's the harm? Yeah, hi. Chris, how would one, should they choose, if, should they decide, right? If they, if they decide to be like Kratos and be masters of their own fate, how would one become a patron? So I think what you would do in this hypothetical situation would be to go to patreon.com slash nartech where you can decide how much money you want to give us a month. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe yeah. as little as like a dollar. Maybe as little as a dollar, maybe as much as a million dollars. It really depends on you and your proclivities. Yeah. 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 So like if I give a dollar, right? Mm. Like what, what do I get for that? Do I, does like, do I get like my name shouted out at the end of the episode? You, you, you would get your name shouted out at the episode. You would. Oh, so like, uh, so like Stingray X, right? That would be a good one. That'd be a good one. Maybe, maybe it's a send to win. Yeah, or AKA Josh Sean. Yeah, Aztec King, Leechion yeah. sixty nine, Joshua the Lord Lago. Corgi, maybe even. Yeah, right. Joshua Lago, Salvador Garcia, maybe Hammondegger, right? Hammondegger, right? Yeah, Bailey Robertson. Yep, Mark Schutz. Bailey. Mark Schutz. Oh, there he is. Cipher Primus. Cipher Primus. Cipher Filton. I don't know which one. Hey, Kyle Grimm. Josh Durrell. Rude Days 93. Kevin Bacon Bits. Kevin Bacon the Bits. The Kevin Bacon Bits. The Bacon to my Danny bit. Villiobos. Danny. Jehudi MD. Jehudi. No Fate. No Fate. Derek Porter. Derek. Constantly Kenny. Got Con- he, he's over constantly here. Kenny. <laughs> I am never not Kenny. He's consistently <laughs> Kenneth. <laughs> uh, Sean Santarude, Steven Salazar, Shadowist. Thank you guys. We love you guys. If you want to become a patron and join those lovely people, please feel free to do so. It helps support the show, uh, which we are very thankful for. But until next week, you have a three-hour episode to enjoy as we knew would happen. I know it. (laughs) I know it. So uh, we will see you uh, next week. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. Appreciate you joining me. Cheers. See you, man.